Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about digital media production. And our second hour is something we'd like to spend a little bit more time on. And so uh, so we're going to be talking about WWDC. We've had a week to think about all the things that were released uh, at WWDC, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. We may have a special guest for the second hour um, to talk with us about that. So stay tuned for that. Um, so, uh, yeah. So let's uh, go ahead and jump into the questions. Bill, what do we have? First one comes from Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Alexander says, Roland has released a new 4K live streaming switcher. It looks good overall, but with some drawbacks and odd choices. The USB 3.2 streaming is limited to SDR 4K 30. What do we think? And he's got a link there. Good, Courtney. Well, I briefly took a look at the uh, website and the, and, the, and the video. This is, It uses a touch interface. It has two, uh, looks like about... Uh, six inch, uh, five inch or six inch touch screens on it. And it looks like you operate it by uh, touching your uh, buttons. It has a, also has a four input mixer built into it. Uh, it's a desktop uh, device and it looks like its inputs are oriented a little bit more toward the consumer version of inputs because it's all HDMI and it looks like it has some uh, consumer grade audio inputs as well as for uh, XLR combo inputs that are um, quarter-inch NXLR audio inputs. So that's nice to, to see the uh, the audio in there. Uh, it's Alex would hate it because all the I.O., of course, is on the back of the uh, back of the unit. It looks like it's designed for the AV market where you're going in and doing a one show in a ballroom somewhere and you're setting it up and wiring everything up to the back of this console. And then at the end of the show, you're tearing it down and putting everything back in cases. So uh, it doesn't look like, you know, you could build it in very easily to a fly pack or something. I guess you could with a convenience panel in the back uh, to do something like that. It's uh, It does allow 4K, as, as was mentioned in the question, 4K streaming uh, using USB 3.2 for doing that. Uh, I guess it remains to be seen how good the interface is and how good the streaming uh, is. But it's interesting, the touch panel... Uh, effect for switching is is a bit different but at least you know what you're going to switch to because it's on the button that you're switching to yeah it looks like a pretty interesting I mean, roland has really found a niche i think you know that they can fulfill for especially corporate and uh, education and so on and so forth that i think is actually it's pretty useful I, again i i still would probably end up with an with the same money and probably still end up with a black magic solution but the audio is going to work you know, so black magic stuff isn't really known for that. And we know that Roland has done a pretty good job of in incorporating audio. So the mic inputs and so on and so forth. Another, another interesting thing to look at when you look at this um, switcher specifically is that it has a region of interest in ROI. Um, and the reason that the region of interest is interesting is because you can, if you're doing a 1080p show, but you have 4K cameras, it allows you to crop into those cameras. So, um, uh, so you can do, yeah, a little, I don't know whether it's going to animate you know, between those looks, but it looks like a really, I mean, a lot of us have, have um, done that in the past, but that hardware has been relatively expensive uh, to do that effectively, to do it really nicely, to have little moves and so on and so forth across a 4K frame uh, hasn't been something that's been super easy. So if they've, if they've cracked that and if they're doing a pretty good job of it, I think it's a really interesting thing, for, especially again for corporate and um, you know, the problem is that people take it too far. So they go, I'm going to have one wide shot and I'm going to crop it on this person and I'm going to crop it on this person. And what you end up with, I mean, the real challenge with using only one camera is when two people are talking like this and then you have a camera here 
and you're you're doing a crop to here and a crop to here, they're they're looking at each other, and so you end up seeing the sides of both of their faces, and it's just it's not a great not a great experience, and so that's why a lot of us want to put cameras physically out here, so that when this person is looking over this way, um, we're getting we're what we always what I always want to see when I'm designing camera shots is that I want to see the far corner of the far eye. Um, the far corner of the far eye, if I can see that, then I feel like I've got enough of it um, to, to make that actually work. And so, um, but, but the being able to punch in is still uh, useful. Go ahead, Chris. You know, Alex, this came up with a producer I work with all the time yesterday. We were talking about camera shots and framing and, and whatnot, exactly what you were just talking about. And uh, we sent a crew out, a producer, to uh, shoot a piece. And they, they did the typical, like, I'm talking to the camera over here kind of thing. And the executive producer looked at it. She goes, why didn't, why didn't they use an eyeliner and Teratron, whatever? Like, and how much do you think, and I apologize, I'm going slightly off topic. How much do you think the last three years of Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings, Zoom meetings has affected or will affect the way we shoot video oh, I think going forward? I think it's made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that people are used to looking in this straight up. And what's interesting is I think that people are used to looking at straight up and having a single person in every window. <laughs> so I actually, when I do stuff now, um, I prefer to have people looking straight into a camera. I don't even like having them in the same room, to be honest. I'd rather have them go through in Teratron. Now, we started doing in Teratron in 2008. So we've been, uh, you know, for us, in Teratrons were kind of second nature as as Hangout started, we already had five kits sitting around, so we just start, applied them, and so that became kind of our norm. So long before COVID, we were doing. I, I couldn't. I got to the point where I just didn't want to ever see an over the show like a, this 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 look, you know, where I'm looking at someone off, and it just it feels so old now. Like it just feels like an old vestige of the past. I think the <laughs> you know, reason and, we did. I think the reason we did it is that non professional talent don't understand right looking at a camera. I oh, think yeah. the last three years has gotten most of us over that. Yeah, and and the, and and the, the non professional talent, what you, you you needed to give them someone to look at so that they could respond. And now the Interatron gives them someone to look at without having to, but but it allows them to look straight into it. And and I think that that's, I think that that's going to become more and more the thing. And and I think it's not just COVID. It's also. Uh, it's TikTok, it's YouTube. The YouTubers and TikTok are looking straight into the cameras, you know, so you're, they're getting used to it. I, I'll argue that some of the top TikTokers, if you really look at what they're good at, they're really good at looking right into the lens. They're not looking at the camera. They're looking to the center of that lens. I had a discussion with a TikToker about that. And they said, you really have to hone in on the center of the lens to get that connection with the with the audience. And this person who had about... 55 million followers. <laughs> so, so anyway, so they, he, he knew what he was talking about. So anyway, so he, so, but, but he was talking about the fact that you just had to look, you have to look right into that center of the lens to, to have that connection. He said a lot of TikTokers look at the wrong lens. Like he's literally said that they'll, they have three lenses for their iPhone and they look at the wrong lens. And he said that takes away, even just that little change to him took away from the connection that you get with the, with the audience. So you had to know which lens you were looking at um, to, to be able to look straight into their eyes. What was super interesting about this conversation I had with this executive producer, uh, she said, she said, who was that guy that we started working with at the beginning of COVID? He was like from Europe or something. I said, Felipe? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he was always looking right at me. And it was, it was really, and it like three years later, she, she remembered how important Felipe's eye contact was with her when he yeah. talked to her from, you know, Prague. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Getting back to the switcher uh, we were talking about, I did look uh, a little further at it, and it has, uh, as far as doing 4K, it's kind of strangely uh, set up in that it has uh, only three 4K inputs. It has seven HDMI inputs, but only three 4K inputs can be uh, combined with a fourth, which is handled over a aux, like an aux bus. So these, these other, the first three, one, two, and three, go in and can be freely switched and composited together in the cross-point switcher. But uh, the um, these other four inputs uh, go into a sub-selector here, and so you can use only four, the three main, and whatever is selected on the aux switcher here to do your... Uh, uh, composites with so it, there are some limitations to this maybe it operates slightly differently in in hd mode versus 4k mode since all the inputs seem to be uh, uh, running through a, a scan converter a standards converter so it can handle different resolutions and it automatically handles hdr sdr and rec 2020 and 709 color space so did we see a price they don't put prices. On I haven't it. looked at the price yet. I think there's a where to buy button. There's a where to buy, and then it goes to send us your email. I mean, yeah. I, I will say that. We're going to make up a price a, later when we see what the reaction is. I, it's one of the things that drives me a little crazy is when people, like, anytime I, you have to have an incredible product for me to go to your website, and you don't give me a price, it has to be just unbelievable. Because otherwise, I just write it off. I'm just like, oh, I don't need to talk to these guys. Now, next question. Next question comes from Douglas Carmichael, and Douglas Carmichael says, Apple mentioned that PCIe DSP cards are one use case where the Apple Silicon Mac Pro trumps the Mac Studio with the native processing power of the Mac Studio and even UAD moving into the native market. Wouldn't the DSP cards be superfluous? Go, Jason. There's nothing superfluous about uh, having your cards inside of a machine. The power availability and the reliability are unmatched. What's more, there are a lot of cards for, for you know cross-system compatibility that weren't released in such a way that they could be you know used through some sort of external thing. Um, Audinate's Dante card, for example, in 2016 does 256 um, simultaneous audio tracks. They don't do that pretty much anywhere else. So yeah, there's nothing superfluous about it. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. To me, this signals the change in, of thinking across the entire era. Back in the day, if you wanted the maximum performance, you had to get the maximum machine. I was shocked when at the um, WWDC this year, the brand new machine, the most powerful computer arguably that uh, Apple has ever produced, it got less than three minutes of time on stage. And I think that's because these studios and the other things in the process now with the M series chips and all of Apple Silicon are so powerful and so able that needing to have the best machine in all use cases just really isn't a thing now. I think they can see that people will be buying the, the machines they need in niche areas to get their work done and not relying on one behemoth. Developers are the one thing where I think this is still critical because a lot of them use cards and things like that for particular I.O. for specialized things. That'll remain. And the Mac Pro is there for those folks. Go ahead, Courtney. 
Yeah, Jason kind of covered what I was going to say, too. It's a lot of these professional audio uh, packages that's uh, a combination of hardware and software have been around for many years and they're cross-platform. They have their own DSP cards that plug in and they've all been written for those custom uh, DSPs that they include with their hardware. So that's that's why, and they probably wouldn't be willing to rewrite all of their code to uh, point it to the uh, to the Apple hardware, you know, Apple Silicon uh, to use to take advantage of the processors that are available in the M2 line because uh, it would limit their choices. They couldn't then, you know, take that code and port it to the outside world. Yeah, I don't think that. I think that the primary use for the, uh, the PCIe's for in the new Macs uh, are going to be I/O and storage. So I think those are the things that you're going to see the most of. You're not going to see processing cards because. The reality is, is that these M-series um, chips are so much faster than pretty much everything else, and the unified memory is a big deal. So the 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 paths um, that that run into the the lanes inside of it are orders of magnitude faster than going through the board. And as a result, it doesn't matter if the processor itself is as fast. It what what really matters is it gets to that memory really, really, really quickly, and it's allowed to it allows it to do a much more efficient process. In addition to that, the CPU and the GPU are sharing a lot of those loads together. As as the software continues to move forward, I think it's just from a cost perspective, you're going to have a hard time justifying it. You're going to be able to build a PC that's much more powerful than a Mac, um, absolutely. So you're going to you know you're going to be able to spend twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars on a PC, and it's going to be much more powerful than a Mac. Will you be able to build a PC that is competitive with a twelve thousand dollar Mac or under? Probably not. You know, like that's the that's the issue is that the efficiency that Apple's getting is is going to make them very competitive at the twelve thousand below. But if you want to put multiple, you know, Nvidia cards in, if you want to do a lot of those specialty things, um, then you're you still have you're still going to scale into a PC or or Linux box. Uh, next question. Next one comes from Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas, and Paul says, "What do we know about the power supply on a Tether for the Apple Vision Pro?" I go ahead, Ryan bit of a follow-up question i have to that is is the two are the two different approaches to powering this thing hot swappable right we know that you're either going to have the battery in your pocket or you're going to be connect, connected directly to ac will you need to power down if you want to move from ac to your battery uh, give a bill I think every gram was important on the headset. That's the one thing that we're hearing in terms of a negative is that it's right on the edge of being a little uncomfortable for long wearing. Clearly, that little tethered brick power supply gives you, I think they say, a couple of hours when you're away from shore power. Most people using it where I expect most people to use it, which is at a desk of some sort in an environment, will undoubtedly keep it plugged in all the time and not have to worry about those. But I think grams mattered and moving the power supply supply, even a modern lithium sorted battery or whatever the thing is, which are much lighter than the old ones. They just didn't want that on your face. Good, Courtney. Yeah. And I'm thinking they, it, it wasn't mentioned anywhere, but I'm thinking they must have some degree of onboard battery as a, uh, like a UPS. So that if your MagSafe gets knocked out, <clears throat> it'll keep going for five or six minutes or so until you get it plugged back in. It allows you to do battery swaps in the field. Um, so I, I think they must have thought about something like that because it is a proprietary connector. Uh, there probably won't be third party, uh, and it's going to be a very small market. Uh, so it's going to, you know, not too many third party developers are going to develop, uh, uh, hardware interfaces for the battery power supply for this. 
I noticed that the cable on the battery looks like it's it may be removable, but it looks like it runs right into that battery. Maybe there's a hidden connector in there somewhere, but I'm sure it's a proprietary type of connector. So it's not going to be easy to uh, interrupt that uh, DC flow and and add your own into that uh, into the battery uh, situation for the vision. So I think it's going to take a number of years and, and it's going to take some brave suppliers to manufacture something for such a narrow market uh, device. I don't think Apple's going to let anybody develop it. Like they're not, they're not, they're not a majority holder in the market. They're not in antitrust um, issues with it. There's no reason for them to allow most of those things to occur, other than the software. I don't think they're going to be that interested in other people messing with their hardware. Um, so I think that that's most like likely what's going to happen. Um, they do have it. They, someone there was in an article somewhere, but there is a pluggable version of this. So if you're sitting at your desk, you can wire, you can throw a plug onto it. I mean, it's a, there's a power supply or whatever that you can wire to it. Um, I'm really interested to see if they have a smaller cord so that you can put it where I'm going to put it, which is on the headset. <laughs> like I'm just going to take that battery and attach it on the top of my head or put it in the back or whatever. I know that Apple didn't like the look, but I'm going to just put it there because I don't want it hanging down. So I'm hoping that there's a shorter um, shorter cable so I don't have to wrap it up. But I think that, you know, but I'm going to start doing a lot of neck exercises, you know, the big neck machine, you know, just kind of start working on it and have the six months. And so when my neck gets much thicker and you'll you'll know that I'm prepping, I'm prepping for the headset to make sure that uh, it just feels nice and light on my on my head. Um, next question. David Brady, New York City. David says, I've been trying to spec out a Pelican or Portabrace case. What percentage of foam to gear is best? Go, Jason. Depends on what you're trying to um, protect. Um, also, the density is going to affect the longevity of the phone. Uh, of the foam. Pelicanfoam.com will actually cut these out for you custom. There are a lot of companies that'll do that, and um, many of them do great work. Sorry, I got it, Mike. Bill? If you can, uh, if you're going with pick and pluck foam, here's my only rule. I try to get always four cubes and never go below that between any two pieces of gear. I know it seems like, gosh, if I just go down to two cubes, I can get more of my stuff in there. But every time I've gone below three, I mean, four is for me ideal. But if I get down to three, I'm cutting the amount of time that case is going to last before those walls start breaking into adjacent gear. So if you can get formed case inserts do so they will last the rest of your career if you're going with form foam pick and pluck particularly leave those walls as thick as you possibly can it'll make the case last a lot longer go ahead courtney yeah i agree with bill uh pick and pluck is not the way to go if if uh, especially if you have anything of any weight in there and and the amount uh, the spec for determining how much foam to put around stuff is based on what the object is that you're putting in there and the weight of it if it's something light, then you can just use, you know, a half inch or three quarters inch of foam to, to cushion it between the sides. If it's heavy, you may need, you know, an inch and a half or so. Um, but find that there's companies out there that will laser cut foam to your specifications and they have pre-done templates for a variety of different uh, types of hardware already in their library. And you can just order it up from them for specific Pelican type cases. So I would look into that because the pick and pluck is the weakest point of the foam interface for Pelican cases because it tends to break down. And you remember each little cube that's in there is only connected by a, a small layer of uh, solid foam that goes between each cube so that you can pick it out easily. And that's the weakest point of that. And those eventually break down. 
Yeah, I, I, I stick with the three, the three rule <laughs> generally. Uh, it, once you go below three, you're going to have trouble as far as the little squares. Uh, the one, the place that I, I haven't used yet, but I, we saw them at NAB and I just was really impressed was mycasebuilder.com. So mycasebuilder.com not only has a ton of templates that already build them, but it has a designing software that you can just drag and drop. It has almost everything you could think about putting in. You can just drag and drop into the case and it will let you design the foam that you want. So if you're going to do something that's temporary or something you're trying to still figure out, then the pick and pluck is fine. If you want to make it permanent, I would really look at mycasebuilder.com. I was really impressed with what I saw there. Next question. Next one comes to us from Dave Chalmers in Glasgow, Scotland. Dave says, Blackmagic switchers still insist on putting program audio on the aux video outputs. Any thoughts on why they insist on this? And he's got it in scare quotes. Feature? <laughs> Go, Jason. Um, I thought the most recent switchers no longer did that. Am I completely backwards on that? I don't know. I mean, most people still know. insist on using audio, doing audio in their HM switcher. I, I don't like. I don't know what what the. I don't know how to use the. I don't know how to use the the audio in the smaller ATEMs or any of the ATEM switchers. We don't. We we insert. I guess what I would say is that we typically insert audio into it if we're going to put. If we're going to embed at the last minute in, into the switcher, then we we sometimes with the larger switchers will do that. Uh, as far as outputting audio, um, I, I I can't remember the last time. I mean, other than the program audio out, I can't think of anything else we've ever ever done. So I think that's that's the problem. I do think on the larger constellations, you can use MADI now, so you can define some MADI outputs there. Um, that's that's there, but you know, audio has not been. We love Blackmagic. We use a lot of their hardware. Audio on the switcher is not something that is a popular solution. Next question. Next one comes to us from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. How valuable is a tally system for remote productions? How about for digital first productions? Or are comms sufficient for such events? Javier? I think that in any case, when you're doing live, it's very helpful and important to have a tally system that tells you that you are on air. Uh, when we, for example, when we were doing the NAB, uh, we sometimes had this delay for you can hear the, the show was going on, but you don't know if you are on air or you're about to get on air. So I think with a tally system, you can get rid of the whole. Are we are we on? OK, perfect. OK, let's move. So I, I think since we have delay, a tally system was great because you can stop you from saying things on air that you shouldn't say. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, tally systems are important for two people. One is the camera operator and the other is the talent. Uh, so the talent needs to know where to look if they want to look out and address the audience directly. And if they don't have a floor manager that is pointing to their hot camera, you know, it's over there. Uh, and the tally system can take care of that. And, of course, the camera operators need to know when it's safe for them to reposition so that they don't do some kind of flying across the room move to reposition to a new new person that starts to speak while they're live on the air. So that's two two reasons the tally system is important. Go, Bill. Uh, Courtney just completely stole what I was going to say. As an occasional camera operator in my youth, you want to know when you're live and not make a move that you, even if you see something fabulous just a little bit to the left, you don't want to move if you're live. Yeah. And uh, it, 
return program is is, the, is what we kind of back into is just sending back a return program that people can see when you see both when both images look the same you're on air you know so so uh so the uh so those are the things to that's one possibility but tally is is pretty important otherwise uh, just a quick reminder that you can ask more questions. Uh, you can ask questions all the way through the first hour. So if you've got questions right now, we've got an incredible panel here uh, to answer them. And we have uh, a great second hour on the WWDC wrap-up. So if there's specific things that you're thinking about that you want to get our opinions on or things that, that we saw over the last week, both with the headset, but also with other um, you know initiatives that Apple's uh, uh, taking on, uh, go ahead and throw those questions into Mokana. All right, next question. Next one comes from Dave, Dave Chalmers in Glasgow, Scotland. Do the panelists think that this $400 USD, US dollar webcam prompter combo justifies the extra cost versus a standard webcam for remote contributors? Or has the pandemic made audience immune to eyeline issues? And he's got a link there to the prompter. Go ahead, Ryan. I think we just had a lengthy discussion on the audience not being immune to eyeline issues. So I think that remains important. The price here seems reasonable, but we can't say yet whether the camera has kind of the the color and sharpness that we're gonna we're gonna want. So that's the part that we'll need to test. It looks pretty cool. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Here's the problem: really, is that it is uh, you are. I think is it your own webcam or is it a, is it their webcam? I it guess they have a webcam, own. right? It is not your own webcam. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's the biggest I think, drawback. If you I think the biggest drawback is the quality of the video is going to be not, they're not going to, at $400, they're not going to knock it out of the park when it comes to video quality. And that's going to be the big problem. Uh, it doesn't matter if you have eyelines, if you have soft video. Um, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, it does a strange thing. It looks like what it does is it has its own video camera and it has a, a maybe a software app that, uh, puts uh, uses your screen as its screen so it uses a portion of your screen uh, to put the other person's face in leaving the rest of your screen open like this uh, it's interesting you see that cable running up must be from its own video camera and i'm not sure whether the video camera is within behind the glass well, there actually is no glass there because it's not reflecting another screen. So I'm not, I think the video camera may be sitting right on top of this little hood here. And it's just uh, uh, lowering your video camera down and limiting the person that you're looking to to a portion of your screen. So it's, it seems to be pricey for just doing that for just basically a webcam that you can move down into the middle of the screen and software that can move your region of interest to just a portion of your uh, of your computer screen. Yeah, I think that I, I think that it's a, it's a really interesting product and I think that there's been a couple products like this in them over the last 15 years that we've seen go by. Uh, the big advantage especially for folks that, you know, where it matters that they have that they have eye contact, I think it actually puts them in a good position. I think the problem again is that you're giving up the you're giving up the quality of the video. So you're you're still there's still a little bit of a trade-off. I do think that eye, eye contact matters. So to get to the second part of your question, I don't think we're immune to it. I think that people put up with a lot of things, but I think that when you have good audio, good video, you have eye contact, I think that it does make a difference for the for the person on the other side. And sometimes I'll argue in the most powerful way in the sense that uh, they are not conscious to that it matters, but it does. You know, And so they're not noticing while they have eye contact, but they feel more connected. And, and I think that a lot of people who say a lot of these things don't matter 
um, are people who aren't paying attention to how people feel when they talk. Very, very subtle stuff. And if you're a salesperson or you're trying to move up the corporate ladder or you're trying to, you know, sell an idea, that that eye contact makes a difference. Um, next question. Next one comes to us from Brian Shand in Sydney, Australia. What components would a run-and-gun HDR live stream setup look like? Well, we did that um, at at uh, both NAB, and then we refined it a bit for um, for Cinegear, and we'll do it again at Seagraph, and we're going to do a test on uh, June eighteenth uh, at a soccer game. Um, and so, uh, what we what we're doing right now for run and gun, I don't know if I can grab the image fast enough to show it to you, but the um, uh, one of the things that that we that we use there is you know it's a camera that can do a lot, so we want to do <clears throat> some kind of PQ LUT uh, or HLG LUT that comes out, and we. Now, what we're doing is transmitting that. <clears throat> it needs to be 10-bit. So you need a 10-bit output. And when you get that 10-bit output, you're, we're, we're using it. There's a variety of Teradek products that allow us to sever the connection to the, to the live view. Um, and then the live view is capable. The live view LU800 is capable of a 10-bit output. So, um, so as far as a, you know, that, that run and gun, I'm, I'm assuming run and gun is kind of mobile, like what we did at Cinegear. So that, that's going to give us that 10 bit output. Um, and then we're going to be able to, um, get that back to us and then be able to encode it. We still need to maintain that 10 bit PQ setting and then, or, or curve or HLG curve. Then we send it to YouTube and we're off to the races. So that's the basic um, piece. There are other ways to back it up if you've got if you've got the cables to do it, if you're, if you're able to connect to the internet, uh, Marcelo here is from Stream Voodoo, and Stream Voodoo can, uh, is, is, I think, getting close to being able to do a lot of those things as well. Um, there's a couple other ways. You can, if you have internet again, you can do things like if you have bonded internet, you could even use something like an elemental link. Uh, UHD has 10 bits, so you, if you have the internet connection, you can simply plummet right into there if you're not trying to do multiple cameras or do other things like that. The nice thing about the live view, which we use heavily, is uh that it is uh, it just it just works you just turn it on <laughs> like, like you just you like you like turn it on and there's video on the other end and it just it just works every time and so that's that's the thing we, we lean towards pretty often go ahead courtney i was going to ask alex we did uh, he did do an hdr test i think at uh, we did where we stood in front of this giant wall of leds that could go to nuclear burn your eyes out level behind us uh when they turn I, on you literally can feel the heat it's like yeah i was standing, like standing yeah, as a test sun. i was flawless <laughs> and i were standing directly cream in front source of it. like, cream source uh, yeah yeah it, it warms your back up but the uh i did you record that test alex and did you look at it later was it we did it, it there was some there was i think we used we were using a new camera and uh uh it was a uh i think that there was some LUT issues that we had that with the camera, so it, the, the the ending product looked looked a little bright. I think that what happened is is that the camera LUT, the Canon camera LUT for the R8, is not a true PQ. So it says PQ, but it's trying to be a little bit more uh, normal. Like it's trying to be a little bit between HLG and PQ. I don't think it, I think it's their own mix of that. And the result is is that when we convert it straight on. We ended up with a very bright image that was oversaturated, and so so we um, so it's not it's not public, uh, but but we learned a lot from that that experiment, and so we're now tuning for. We've got the next test is June eighteenth. We're going to do a soccer game. If anyone's interested in in joining us, it's going to be in San Francisco, uh, and um, uh, we're going to be doing a soccer game on June eighteenth, and we're going to do um, just a portion before the show. We're going to do an HDR, so uh, so we'll we'll see how that how that looks. Uh, go ahead, Marcel. Yeah, I was thinking about being in run and gun outside. Uh, an ND filter will also be needed, of course. 
I guess, for the uh, yeah. lights. Yep, I have a the the one that I used on on my camera is a three stop ND filter on the on the front end of that, and that just gets you back into a range where you can start to open it up. The reality is that at Cinegear outside, I could have done a nine stop, you know, and um, I have a little bit of a. There are adjustable ones where you can have three to nine stops in, a, and you just turn it to get a darker piece. I think it affects the skin. <laughs> so so the, the way that polarization works. So I, I tend to get fixed uh, ND filters. Um, next question. David Brady is up next from New York City. David says, while the OWC Thunderbolt Go is a killer at the office, I still need more USB I.O., both A and C. What kind of expansion options should I be looking at? Good, Bill. Well, I went with their big brother to the go, which is this dock. It has tons of I.O. It's based on um, the Thunderbolt ports with the USB-C form factor. And that means you can use any of these little dongles to switch any of those that you want to switch from uh, the Thunderbolt port to a standard USB-A port if you just have a bunch of things. Or this usually has enough uh, power, and particularly the dock on the front, the little USB-A dock on the front, you could tap out to an extension and you'd probably be good. OWC just makes really solid stuff that it's hard to hard to fault. Yeah, the um and, and the other thing to look at is the the you know, you have different lanes. So if, if you if depending on how many what computer you have, if you have a Mac Pro, MacBook Pro, you've got two lanes. You just make it you got to make sure that you're pairing those lanes up, but you can theoretically use multiple docks. You just don't want to put mo both docks. And this is where people get in trouble. I think this is most of the problems that we've had with hubs. We were really talking about this the other day is when people are, they don't know it, but they're putting a dock into one lane and then they're putting other devices into the another input on the Mac that is another that is on the same lane as the as the as the dock is and it's it's cutting up what the dock is going through so you have to know which connectors so like with my with my macbook studio or my mac studio i have four lanes on the back with a with my mac uh my macbook or not my macbook my mac mini that i have i have one lane i believe for those and so so you have to be kind of careful of uh, for the base one, uh, for the Mac Pro, MacBook Mac Mini Pro, you have the multiple, you know, the four lanes. So just be very careful of knowing what those lanes, where those lanes belong. Um, and and now that I think of it, I think my Mac Studio is actually two lanes for four inputs. And so um, so you have to be careful of um, not over overdriving those lanes. Um, but you can theoretically put a couple docks on it. Go ahead, Marcelo. Yeah, and the thing about the USB hubs, I do have a couple of here of of them here, but they have to be AC powered. So you don't have to rely only on the power that the USB port will give you. Even on the Mac Studio, I do try that. And, you know, if you have several USBs uh, connected to it, it will be complicated um, yeah. to run them without extra power. The one that I just got that is not going to be the solution you're looking for, but one that I'm about to test is uh, this. Uh, this is the Uni or Uni. Uh, hub. I'm I'm testing this one with my uh, with my this is based on some of the tests we've been doing. Uh, I got this to test with my iPad. I was trying to do it before the show, but I was up late last night <laughs> getting a, getting a, a deadline done. So anyway, so this is uh, but what this has that I'm interested in. It's got Ethernet. It's got HDMI out, um, and then it's got USB. Of course, USB C's in. And the reason that I'm that I'm interested in this one specifically is I'm looking at the idea that I can take video in um, via, you know, a, an ATEM or whatever, but push 
video out as well of the um, I, I want to see if I can go both ways. So we'll we'll talk about this next week if it if it works. Uh, we'll talk about it either way next week, but we'll talk about whether it worked or not. Next question. Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana. Up next, will we ever create interesting live looks in Zoom meetings like those that have worked in film? Could performance art be done over Zoom? Example, a film shot looking at the side of heads and things like that. Go ahead, Javier. I, I'm sure that every time you give a, a person like a blank sheet of paper or a piece of wood or anything they can express themselves, they're going to do it eventually. We're going to like choose different backgrounds or where to place the camera or what light. I think this show is a good example of people choosing what to put behind their camera, what lighting, what the angle they're shooting. I mean, we are going for intelligibility and looking good and being framed but we are consistently trying to get better looks. So I think you can, uh, uh, someone that wants to express something more dramatic or want to do a, diff a different artistic uh, <clears throat> sorry, choice or do a different way of placing a camera or back lighting and everything. So uh, I think Zoom looks are, and, and the remote looks are gonna keep changing and refine for the different uses. And of course you can perform, there's nothing stopping you from having like a, like a like a like a show or a um, like a play in Zoom with different actors like looking and turning the cameras on and off. You can do it. Like technically, you can do it, and it's, it's only a matter of uh, when someone's going to try and do something interesting. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Well, when you think that uh, Zoom is really a communications program or platform, it's designed for communicating between you and somebody else. Uh, generally, the dramatic type framing, like the the one they're talking about, is the, like the tele telephoto profile, uh, something like that. I won't leave it up for long because I don't want to get a takedown. Uh, that's used all the time in motion pictures, obviously, in television shows. Uh, when that character that's on camera is, is talking to, reacting with another person who is off camera, off to the right of them, let's say in that picture that I just showed. Uh, so, you know, you can do a dramatic performance or play out a dramatic performance on Zoom, but usually Zoom is used in another fashion, which is for communicating two-way. And in that case, you know, if I'm looking over at my second monitor while I'm talking to you, it, it's kind of disconcerting because you're looking at the side of my head and it's less personal and it looks like I'm distracted, which I kind of hate that profile shot. Uh, you'll see it a lot of times in commercials where they shoot a second camera. They're shooting with a teleprompter, so there's in the lens con there's in the lens communication that happens at the beginning of the commercial. And then they'll cut to the B camera, which is on a profile shot, and it takes me kind of out of that communication because it looks like then you're kind of eavesdropping uh, over the person that's talking to the camera. Yeah, and I, and I do think that there are some people that have done some theater, and I think that as the video quality gets better in Zoom. You may see people pushing that a little bit more as far as trying to really create live, you know, theater, essentially. Um, obviously, the, the folks that did that work on the broadcast tools uh, in Zoom know a lot about theater and know a lot about this kind of thing. So I think that it's definitely something they're conscious to. Um, but I do think it's going to be a little while um, be, before, we, before we get that. Um, next question. Dave Chalmers in Glasgow, Scotland's up next. Has anyone had success getting the LED metering on Scarhoy fader panels working with vMix? Seems very, very laggy. Yeah, there's a, I mean, getting something out of software into hardware and having it actually be um, synced up, it's a really hard problem. Like, you know, so I think that the, the chances of getting it to work well is low. 
just because of the just the the, the vagarities of, of trying to put that together. So I think that um, if, I don't know what very very laggy looks like, but um, I would expect a half a second, you know, like you know, a quarter second to half a second, which would make it to me a useless. <laughs> so I, I would keep it. I would. I, I probably would not try to do hardware uh, hardware metering on a software device in in there. I just think you, the inherent lag is gonna is gonna be there. I don't. I don't think. I don't know how you would get over that. Uh, next question. Joe Kidd in the Bay Area in California says, I'd like to experiment creating 8K VR 180 content. What is a good first step hardware solution that meets these parameters, costing less than a Canon EOS R5 plus a Canon RF 5.2 millimeter F 2.8 L dual fisheye lens? Thanks. Nothing. Nothing is going to give you that. I mean, if you're trying to do stereo VR 180, um, you know, if, if you want to experiment with other things, I mean, there the that I was just looking at that Canon yesterday, um, and so uh, that that is the the real one that a lot of people are using. It's full frame sensor. Now you can, if you want to go to a single frame, you can use a. If you have a full frame sensor, you can take a one eighty lens. There's a there's a I think it's an eight millimeter or six millimeter or something like that Canon lens that potentially can get you. You just need to get that whole sphere, you know, into onto the sensor. Um, so if you're seeing that whole sphere, it can be unwrapped into into 180. Uh, so it's just a matter of whether you and, and there's cases where you could cut that off, um, especially if you're using Super 35. Um, but but I would I would say that um, a dual fisheye, there aren't that many options. There's a couple older options, but they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be great. Now there are a variety. Um, there's can I think it's can can do makes makes ones as well as. Uh, Ecam has a bunch of solutions that you potentially could use, but I don't think they're any less expensive. Um, the Canon is a pretty efficient uh, cost, but but look at CanDo and and uh, and then of course Insta360 will do has tools that will do that if you're trying to start, but it's not going to be. Uh, I think Insta360 has a. I think they actually may make a. Um, uh, they used to. I think they used to make one that was dual eye that would flip. It flips. It'll flip closed, and it'll give you 360. And it'll flip open and give you dual uh, du dual eye, so I think that those are that that might be a less expensive way to start to experiment with it. I do think I I, I applaud the direction that you're going. I think it's going to be important um, for us to start thinking about 3D. Now, there are going to be while it may seem like a niche niche market, there's a lot of people that have a lot of money that are going to be buying headsets in early next year. Uh, because it's cost ex it's, it's expensive, so it doesn't matter whether there's a lot of them or not. They're going to be willing to buy just about anything that looks remotely interesting, <laughs> because they're they're trying to figure out how the headset works. And I mean, we've seen this surge with um, products before, where you're just in the right place at the right time. And the problem with with 180 is is that you really have to do a lot of it to understand how it works and what works in that environment. Um, I will save you some time. That your sweet spot is between five feet and fifteen feet. That's where you want most of your action to happen. That's where you're going to see parallax. That's where you're going to see pieces. That's what it's going to look good. Um, you're not going to want to probably move the camera very much. That makes people sick. Um, so, you know, think about fixed cameras um, that are at that, um, you know, that are in, the, in a pretty close environment. Uh, you're going to get that down. As people move away, having something that's adjustable is nice. We've done ones where I've done really, really wide shots where the cameras themselves are a couple feet apart because we're forcing a, 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 a stereo projection. So there's a lot of different ways that you can cut it, but getting a lot of practice is the first step. So you're, you're going the right direction. Uh, Marcella? 
Yeah, talking about practice, uh, Insta360 X3, right? Very good, and it has 180 modes, and you can try it. Of course, it's not going to be 8K, but in the 180 mode, it's very... Don't they, very don't they uh, have one that, a stereo one that wrap that... Um, I believe that they used to make one. I don't. I just don't know if yeah. they still make it. Um, where I they think, <clears throat> there's I there's one that would spin. Uh, now the other thing to know is that the sphere, the Insta three sixty sphere, um, is is another camera that will um, that will get you stereo. So it will, uh, you know. So it or maybe that's not that's the one Insta three sixty sphere is for a camera, but Insta three sixty makes a globe version of this um, that is. That we've yeah. seen, and it will get you the stereo that you're looking for, the Pro Two. Um, and I don't know if it's more expensive or less expensive than buying all the R. I think it might be. Uh, we've used these in productions, but I didn't have to. Yeah, it's 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 less. It's five thousand dollars, which is less than the than the package that you just laid out. And it will do 360 and and also stereo. So it's another one and 180 stereo as well. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael, could you see healthcare applications for the Vision Pro, particularly in stress and or pain management, for example, or would a traditional VR headset like the MetaQuest be better for those use cases? Right, go ahead, Bill. I was reading this morning, and actually one of the articles I read, there was a reviewer who was at the opening, and she was out of Australia, and she specifically mentioned that part of the demo that she saw when she got to put it on and try Vision Pro was kind of a version of the Calm app that Apple uh, has. It was a 3D VR immersive relaxation app. She was very positive about what happened. Now, on the other side of that, spending $3,500 plus whatever lenses or whatever you have to add to it, just to get a relaxation uh, app is a pretty high-end solution. But Apple is thinking of that. Apple has gone, as we all know, particularly with the watches and things like that, into health type apps. And so I think this will be one thing if you can afford the platform. Good, Courtney. Yeah, it's going to have to come with an app to relieve the stress of having paid $3,500 for uh, the device itself. But in all reality, though, I do see a market for professional use. For 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 example, doctors uh, could use it and maybe uh, have a it'd take a lot of work, but to superimpose a uh, MRI image over the body of a person who's standing in front of you uh, and being able to uh, take the output of that to a monitor that they could look at. Uh, to show them where the source of their problem is, where their pain is coming from, or superimpose uh, where their pain is over a uh, a CAT scan or an MRI uh, to to show them, you know, uh, how the pain is emanating from a certain spot in the body. I can see a a vertical market application for that, a professional market application, but. Uh, as a consumer device, you know, there have been so many gimmicks over the years, the glasses with the LEDs that face in and flash at certain you know, frequencies. Uh, there's been all kinds of crazy, quacky-oriented uh, uh, devices for doing that, and I'm sure there'll be developers that, that might come up with something like this uh, for, the, for the vision, if there's a big enough market for it. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny that we... Um... Uh, I did the math on my Apple IIe. I think I posted it on Twitter, but I did the math on my Apple IIe. It was two thousand dollars in nineteen eighty two, which is considerably more than the headset, <laughs> fifty two hundred dollars, I think now in today's money. So, so I think that uh, you know when we say it's expensive, it just depends on how people use it. Uh, my Apple IIe was not nearly as useful as the headset. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I mean, inflation does weird things to prices and stuff. You're right. Um, 
You know, uh, there's a couple of pundits that I listen to all the time, and they, I, I was expecting them to absolutely, you know, just lambast the headset. They were both very, spoke very favorable of it. Uh, they even said that Apple may as well be shipping $100 bills with the thing because they're probably, their estimation is that they couldn't even make it for $3,500, let alone ship it for $3,500. Uh, I was talking, uh, John and I were talking the other day, and he said after the announcement, he said that the resolution in it is not uh, enough. John, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that your brother said that it's not enough to look at x-rays. Is that what you said? Or was it CAT scans? Uh, they're using 2K per screen right now to read x-rays. So it is it is high enough. Oh, I thought I could have sworn you said your brother said it wasn't good enough to look at x-rays. Anyway. Javier. And that that we are talking about healthcare, uh, I was wondering, since they announced it, I wondered this. Um, I think uh, Tim Cook's been wor working around how can they measure blood pressure and uh, blood sugar. And I'm pretty sure that you can do blood pressure very easily by the eyes. And I'm pretty sure you can actually do blood sugar by the oxygen in your eyes. So and maybe not for this device, you're not going to buy this just for that. But if they scale it down, it could be like the Tim Cook moment of I solve this for the entire market. Next question. Next question comes from Dave Chalmers in Glasgow, Scotland. And Greg says, uh, Dave, I'm sorry, says, can the panel recommend an inline USB audio interface to use with a Rode N8, NTH100 headset that ends with a TRRS 3.5 millimeter plug? Usage is for Zoom and or Teams, not broadcast. Yeah, there's a couple different ones that we've used in the past. I think that the highest quality one is made by Audio Technica, and I'm typing really fast because I can't remember the name of it, um, but it, Audio Technica makes one that that we kind of ended up, um, you know, starting to use. And the big thing that it did uh, was that it it handles TRS and TRRS correctly. Um, and it's, uh, uh, you know, interface, interface. Let's see if I can get this really quickly. Um, yeah, the one that we've used, we started using was the Amazon. It's the ATR2X USB 3.55. Um, and it's made by Audio Technica. And again, it, it the big advantage that we found with it is that it it was capable of um, you know correctly going back and forth. We've had some USB that either don't have enough gain or uh, mishandle TRRS. That if you give them something, if you give them TRS, um, they're fine. If they give them TRRS, they're not, or vice versa. So uh, I would look at the again. The, it's the uh, Audio Technica ATR2X. Next question. Douglas Carmichael says, as a project manager or leader, have you ever dealt with projects that have so many um, issues that it's not worth continuing with the project, but management doesn't see the project the same way? All the time. <laughs> so, so there's like, welcome, welcome to corporate production. Yeah. So, so the, uh, so I, you know, I think that um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of these uh, can be, uh, you know, a lot of events uh, can become problematic. Your job is to find the best outcome for those. They may not be perfect. Uh, they may not be exactly what you knew that they could have done or what could have been done. The key is to have it, a lot of times you being close to it will think that it's a complete disaster. The consumer doesn't notice, the client doesn't notice, and your job is to not just throw up your hands and give up. 
but uh, just to is just to keep on focusing on what you can do to make it a great event, you know, and and know that you're seeing it in, through it. I have to do this all the time. Know that I'm seeing it through a lens that that the client's not seeing through, and the and the and the uh, and now and then what you do is you write down a bunch of things on how to not do that again. But a lot of times, if it's really catastrophic, uh, I there's been probably four or five times out of over two thousand events that I've sent an email to a client two weeks before and said we should cancel this event. Like you should just like I'll you don't have to pay me like just don't do the event like you know and those have been I'm running out of runway and I just know that there's no way with the changes that they've made now usually what that does is it precipitates a bunch of meetings and we've never actually canceled the event <laughs> so we've canceled it like once but usually it participates in one of the meetings like hey we got to come to we have we have you we have to have a conversation and we have to stop doing this or we have to turn a right angle but it's very rare for for us to, to do that. But I've done it a, you know, a couple times and it's been effective. I've done a couple events that I should have done that and it wasn't effective. And it was, there's nothing like, uh, you know, a live event going sideways is like cutting your arm off with a, with a butter knife, you know. So. At, at what level, Alex? Uh, like what size event are you talking about? Pretty big events. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, like, like so is, the, is it, is it like a strategy? Like, like you're saying, like, look. It's not. It's, it's literally. so bad. We have to, just we either have to change, all. we either have to make a course correction or cancel it. Like it, and we've made the course corrections to do it, but you have to be, but I was willing to just walk away. Like, because, right. you know, the, one of my primary uh, sales, <laughs> one of my primary value adds is that we don't fail very often or at all. And so if I think that I'm actually going to hit the ground, I'll usually come to a client, I'll either try to make a course correction or I'll try to get out of it, you know, out of the project because I don't want to, it's like a, Prosecutor won't prosecute hard cases because they don't want to. They don't want to affect their uh, their effectiveness rating. You know their 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 win rate. And so so I if I think that I'm really not going to make make the turn, um, uh, sometimes I'll you know. And I, now I've been in events where two minutes before the event I wasn't sure if I was going to make the turn. <laughs> you know, like it was enough things had gone wrong in the last hour that that I was like we had you know I talked about it yesterday. We had one where the, you know things caught fire, things were on fire, things were you know doing all kinds of things. There was rain, wind, all at the same time, and and we just were like I don't know if it's going to work, but we you know and sometimes we start a couple minutes late. Sometimes you know we had we lost a whole broadcast truck an hour an hour and a half before an event. You know, so we we've, we've had things happen, um, but. But you do keep track of that. That's all. I mean, and they they leave scars. Um, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. A wise colleague once shared with me that your key responsibility as a project manager is to make sure bad news travels fast. <laughs> go ahead, Jason. I love that. I, I feel like there's this tendency, especially when you become um, when you become a professional and start calling yourself uh, stalling, calling yourself an expert. That if you put your entire heart into something um, and it fails, that you're not good enough. And, um, you know, children do this all the time. In mm -hmm. fact, that's yeah, how they exist. Um, we, we just have to remember that that uh, that failure can affect people's, you know, career trajectory on the stuff that I do. And it can affect stock market prices and so on and so forth. So we, you know, we're very conscious that failure is in, in small amounts. You'll see me, I have a high willingness to fail when I'm, when I'm not getting paid for it. I have a very low tolerance for failure when I'm getting paid for it. Well, well, and yeah, that was the yeah. second part of what I was going to say. Um, you know, a lot of this can be fixed with proper communication. And yes, a shot across the bow will almost always fix this. 
sometimes if you do it too often, uh, then no one, everyone ignores you and, and you, you're seen as a Eeyore and then they don't hire you next time. <laughs> so, so we try to paper over as much as we possibly can. You know, live is so dangerous that if anyone really knew what it, what, what was happening on the back end, they wouldn't do any of them. And so we, we try to kind of protect the client from that. Go ahead, Bill. I've had a few of those, but I've also had one where a client got to about 75% and said, you know, I think we're going to pull the plug on this. Go ahead and bill us for the whole thing. <laughs> I thought, that is a client that I'm going to work incredibly hard to keep. Uh, I got sometimes. my first two el elemental encoders, $33,000 worth of encoders on a cancellation fee that there I didn't even go. ask for. They just said, we feel really bad. We'll just give it back to you. And, you know, it just came apart. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. That's why building these relationships is so important. If they the truly believe in you and you can produce for them over and over again, you will get yeah. a lot of slack in some of these areas. Well, the funny thing is, is that when it comes to a client, they may have seen inefficient by that client, but they had our undivided attention after that. Like it was like, this is a client that we want to keep forever, uh, you know, and so that, and so that it was a good business move on their end. Next question, real quick. Robert Linkroom in Belmont Shores, California. Does anyone know whatever happened to Doro? I have not been able to purchase the new 40 series Doro meter, which is about $500 US. They are occasionally available on the used market, but the current vintage units are snapped up fast and priced high. Go ahead, Courtney, real quick. Yeah, they disappeared because they're stuck with a, uh, a finite uh, uh, metering. You know, it, the legend determines uh, is printed on the face of them. Uh, so they're not very versatile, and they were used in radio stations and on mixing panels and mixing stage rooms. You can be seen from across the room. Uh, but uh, LCD-based and small system-on-chip-type-based meters are now much more versatile and ca can have different scales and different types of readouts uh, that are much more versatile than these fixed analog devices that use discrete LEDs and discrete markings on the panel. But they look so pretty. Next question. Courtney's got those beautiful ones. Or not Courtney. Who was it? Um, Mitchell. Mitch. Next, Mitch. next question. Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana. What are the benefits of a 4K signal over HDMI? Wouldn't SDI be a better option? What was Roland thinking? And he's got a link to B&H for it. I think that that a lot of the, they looked at the use case of a lot of people that are going to generate 4K are going to generate from consumer devices, whether it's a computer or an Apple TV or a or a camera that has an output, and they and they just didn't think that the market that that they're aiming this at was going to be able to generate a 12G signal, and they definitely didn't want to do three 3G signals or four 3G signals, and so I think that that's that was their decision. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Chris Fenwick in Emeryville, California, here on the panel. Has anyone used the latest update to Teams? It looks really nice with a few shortcomings. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, yeah, I, I had to use it the other day, and I was, I was kind of shocked by it. It, it looks really clean. Uh, the, the big problem is your face is always tiny in the corner, and I, I have bad news to mention to you guys, but when I'm on Zoom, I'm usually looking at me. I don't know what that's about. Uh, but um, so that was awkward. It also feels like you're driving like a really, a, a really pretty, you know, VW instead of like a Ferrari. Because it, it we still don't have any of the controls, but it really looks nice. Anybody seen it? Uh, Ryan? Chris, are you referring to the Windows native version? Oh, I wouldn't touch a Windows machine. Okay. I mean, ever. that's the one that's been recently rebuilt. Well, the Mac one looks, completely looks a lot different than it did a couple of months ago. How's the 1080p after two people? There's no 1080p. <laughs> Everything's 640 by 360. I, I got a call today. I'm supposed <laughs> to have a, I'm supposed to have a, a, a live edit session with some people today. And they said, can we, 
should, should we use Zoom or should, or should we use uh, Teams? I said, Zoom. It, you know, it was six, three mm-hmm. times the resolution. Of course. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's fine it's for corporate. It's fine for corporate communication, just like Word is fine for corporate communication. Um, it's just not, if you want something that is, is high quality, you don't use either of those. Uh, next question. David Barton in Memphis, Tennessee says, our company is threatening to move away from Zoom and use Teams exclusively. We'd like to avoid that dumpster fire. Has anyone had success convincing their management to keep Zoom? Please don't make us use purple Skype. Uh, you know, I, I think that the the main issue is, is with, with Teams is the uh, low resolution. Like for me, like I, I can't go back to 720. <laughs> like That's like, you know, and so, uh, you know, I think that for the penny pinchers in the uh you know the in the in the in the system that are trying to just in the and so the problem really is is that windows is the most successful in places that have a lot of vertical integration so you have the it wants it just to do what they want it to do and the and the and the um the folks that are running the the books wanted to just do the thing that they wanted to do and so that's where it's that's where you see a lot of teams and where you see microsoft in general um and so it but they just oftentimes just don't care about that final <laughs> that final bit. And so you just have to, I don't know whether, it depends on the company you're in, whether you can uh, make that turn, but uh, it's, it's never going to be competitive. Like, like, let's be clear, like they don't, if you look at the trajectory of Skype, Microsoft is never going to turn this around. Like it's never going to be a great product. They took, a, they took the state-of-the-art industry leader by a long shot and drove it into the ground. Like, like it is the most, in our world, it is the most amazing failure in the history of video production is to take the product that was 10 years in front of everybody else and then just plow it into the ground, you know, and to a point where people like me who had spent tens of thousands of dollars on Skype integration would never open up Skype again. Like, I won't even join an event. I had an event that they said, oh, we have to use Skype. And I'm like, how about we use Zoom? Because <laughs> like, like, if we're not, I'm not going to speak. I'm I'm like done. I'm so angry with that product. Um, go ahead, uh, Chris. Yeah. Um, what's really interesting, and I I go back to this, and you've heard me say this a million times, uh, Alex, is that you know we as a society, as you know mankind, used VHS for nearly 30 years, and I'll and I'll tell you that the average person, they don't care about video resolution. They, they we we like to say that they do, but they can't. They don't care, but it. they feel it. They, that's the that's the thing. We think so, and oh, yet, yeah, and yet, our biggest client is cutting off Zoom soon. Can't use Zoom. And here's what's interesting: the 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 draw to Teams, the main feature that they're being drawn to by Teams, is the ability to share documents easier. Oh yeah, and that, and, well, and it and, and, and I know and, that you yeah. could share things in, in Zoom, but the perception is. That you can't, and so, and I say this to our friends at Zoom: you have to look at all the reasons why, and sometimes the resolution and all that just isn't enough. It's yeah, it's not. It's just it's just done by left brain thinking. Like people are thinking about it, not looking at what they feel, and that is a big, you know. And the thing is, is that and and you watch Apple will sell in the next three years more headsets at ten times the price than Oculus, and the reason they're going to do that is because Apple pays attention to how people feel. You know, and, and the thing, you know, and, 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 and so it is that feel is super important in the process. Um, and the, and the, all these companies can't figure out how Apple just, we're about, we're kind of transitioning to our second hour, but 
all these companies can't figure out how Apple keeps on wrapping around them, doing something that's more expensive than they were doing, and then cleans their clock. And the reason is, is because Apple is paying attention to those small details. They're paying attention to how people feel, even if they don't notice it. And because Apple pays attention to the weird little edges and all the little buttons and all the little things, and they think about this all the time, and they think about the you know, surprise and delight moments. And how do you, how do you have this? I mean, all the way down, when you open up a packet, the packaging on Apple, you're like, how many meetings did I it take disagree. to do that? But I'm just saying that, that, that it, you always want to pay attention to that as an individual. Um, I know companies that, you know, yeah, anyway, so. Uh, but the but, people who are making these decisions don't care about that. I understand that. They're just not very smart. <laughs> like they're, and they're, yet ruining, they're still and they can't the figure out why people I, I get it but they 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 are they're not they're and then they can't figure out why people don't want to come back to the office because they're making a whole bunch of decisions in the office the open office uh the you know things they can't understand why people don't want to come back and it's because these are the things that they're not thinking about you know and and i love competing against people who don't see that because you know clean their clocks. <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't think you want to, you know, as, as someone who's in those companies, just put up with it, but know that, you know, when you can, you know, if you can, uh, it, it gives you a competitive advantage to have people, so many people so short-sighted. So, so don't, don't worry about it too much. Just know that that's your edge. All right. We are now jumping into the sec second hour and talking about WWC. We've had a week. Uh, there has been a lot of announcements, not just the headset, although we probably will talk a lot about the headset because that was the big announcement. But there was computers and there's new architectures and there's new, um, you know, all kinds of things uh, that, that Apple has released. This is the big time when we see what Apple is going to roll out for us uh, for the next year from a software perspective and giving developers all the things they need to do that. And we are fortunate to have my good friend, Renee Ritchie, uh, for the second hour. Uh, so Renee uh, has, has been kind enough to join us. Uh, we, you know, I know that Renee's very busy, so we're really, really glad to have, have Renee here. Renee, it's so good to have you here. Nope, oh, can't hear you, Renee. You might make... I'm such an amateur. I was just saying I've missed you so much, your glorious, beautiful face on conversations <laughs> like this. Uh, what so uh, we're going to kick it off with your your feedback you've got plenty of time here but what is what were the things that you saw that are the most important things for us to be tracking um from wwdc yeah i think i'm going to echo what i just heard you talking about and that is apple has this ability to package technology they're not first to market they famously waited 10 years on smartphones from like the trio period and the blackberry period they weren't first with tablets. There was a whole decade of, of a tablet PC, even watches. There was the Pebble and other watches. Uh, and arguably they entered that very early. And now we've had everything from the Oculus Rift to the Quest to like the Index to like so many things. And we're seeing Apple's vision for what they're calling spatial computing, but it's really like this mixed reality AR, VR. And I was blown away. Like my expectations were high. Um, and because you just know how Apple rolls, but the way that they, the things they chose to focus on are always fascinating. Like the original iPhone didn't have apps. It didn't have multimedia messaging. It didn't have so many things, but it made you want to go and show everybody, look, I can pinch to zoom. I can look at this. It's like elastic, like uh, scrolling. And this feels the same way to me. It's like, it doesn't have every feature. There are obviously huge app gaps, a monumental gaming app. Uh, gaming gap because unlike Netflix and Disney Plus, they just won't put the big gaming streaming and stores and services on there. But it looks so delightful. Like in every experience from opening that thing up to putting it on to moving in and out of the virtual worlds, it, it just looks well, and transformative. 
and, and both of us have a, a bunch of friends that that were at the event putting yes. the headset on. And uh, so there was a lot of text flying back and forth. So, so how was it? Yes. Like, 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 <laughs> yeah. And they all said it was better than they expected. Yeah, yeah. There was nobody that said, "Oh, it wasn't very good." There was a couple people that said it was a little heavy, you know, on the on yes. on their face. You know, some uh, some of the uh, the women that I reached out to had, you know, it was yeah. a little like, "Oh, it's a little heavy." The the um the the men were mostly like, "It's right on the edge of being too heavy." You know, yeah. it's you know one of those things. What did uh, did you talk? To? I'm sure that you were were trading notes with folks quietly. Yeah, uh, and even like the grumpy ones were like, "Yeah, Apple the eye tracking." Like because like there's a lot of things that have been problematic just from a pure technology delivery point of view, yeah. and it's been things that induce vertigo or things that mess with your perspective. And <clears throat> it just sounds like they nailed the eye tracking so well, like people couldn't believe it. And the silicon, like they are so far ahead, uh, and we've talked about this for years. Like they are so far ahead in being able to make custom silicon. Like the R1, the the new chip that they introduced, is a real time engine, and we know that they t- they've taken people from QNX, which is like QNX makes. If you're not familiar with them, they make like the real time operating systems that are in submarines and infotainment systems and nuclear power plants, like things that. It doesn't matter how fast they go, they just have to go on every single beat and never miss one. And when you think about it like, like an immersive headset, it can't crash because an app hangs. It can't crash because like FaceTime is not working or because like you're getting too many tabs in Safari. So you have this whole M2 processor handling all the Macity Mac, like, uh, like all the application layer stuff. But then this real time operating system that's just flooding that image pipe with keeping the world alive around you. And I think that's the secret is they managed to get that sensor fusion hub and that image pipeline into real time and just such low latency that you start to buy into that illusion. I mean, everybody that I talked to was like, well, it was really, really amazing. It was way better than I expected, but it's still too much fun. Yes. <laughs> like, and I was like, maybe you can't do the amazing without spending too much money. Like that, that like, might what be would the, you like, take you, off, right? Like it's like, it's like, I know it's for this camera. You want to lose the cameras on the bottom. You want to lose like what part uh, are you yeah, take away? Exactly. What else did, what else did you see there? Um, or the, on the releases beyond the headset itself we had, a, we had some new Macs. We had uh, a lot of widgets. Um, yeah, I'm actually really curious for your hot take on the Mac Pro because the the whole selling point of the Mac Pro is really fast PCIe connectivity. But Apple really showed like audio and 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 video cards, which is great for like anybody in the industry. Like you put an SDI card in there, you put a rate, like whatever you want for storage, all of that. But like some people still want their big CUDA cores, some people still want their big AMD cards, and some yeah, people th- want like I, other stuff. I fundamentally think that Apple is uh, seeding the high high end. They're, I think that that's what they did for the Mac Pro, uh, the, the Intel Mac Pro. Is we're going to give you a fifty thousand or sixty thousand dollar box that that can just go into the you know into the atmosphere, and I think that they found that there just weren't anybody that, there wasn't anybody there buying those. <laughs> like there's a handful of people I know people who bought those, um, yeah. and they're they're really happy with them. But they're doing very very vertical things that I just think Apple made the decision, I don't have any information, but I, I believe that Apple just made the decision that that market isn't worth having, that they're more consumer driven. Um, they do, we do have AV professionals that need things like IO. So there's all of us that are doing all this crazy stuff with sonnet boxes, with our studios and everything else. So we need a Mac Pro. Um, they, the cap on the Mac Pro now without any cards in it is twelve $11,700. So just under $12,000 um, that's there. And I think that Apple decided this is the world we're going to own. Like everything from, we're going to give you a cost-effective solution for AV professionals from 12000 down. And I think that, again, at any price point that you see from four five ninety nine to 12000 
yeah. specking out a PC that does the same thing that that computer does. You know, you can definitely build PCs that do that, but but specking out the same one. I mean, there's a reason when we talk to to uh, you know to, to folks about building stuff on the Mac, like my Zoom ISO is only on the Mac because. You can't build a PC for $600 that can do what the, the, the Mac Mini can do. And I think yeah. you're going to see Apple continue to fuse that and just say, we're going to, this is a market that, you know, we're going to really make it difficult to have a cost effective solution. Um, and then we're going to let companies build, let you put four NVIDIA cards into a PC, let you, you know, put 1.5 terabytes of, of memory into, into that PC. You're going to let you do all that stuff because that's like 10 people. Like, and it's just not, it was. It was in some ways the, the Mac Intel Mac was not. Um, uh, it was not Apple-y. <laughs> it was very. It well, was, I do miss the like the free uh, like space heater that came with all of those, especially on the cold winter days in Canada. Yeah. Like I would just hold my hands over it and I'd keep toasty warm. But to your point, like there are things because it has the, like these massive pools of unified memory, and we have even more of that on the M2 Ultra now than ever before. You can literally load things into memory that just don't work on other systems and you can do like and because of the neural engines and the, now you have double those next generation neural engines even like with the original m1 ultra i was beating a 4090 in things like topaz like video ai and topaz photo ai and like not by a lot but i was still beating like a card the size of the avengers helicarrier with this little aluminum box that didn't get very loud at all on my desk i think like yeah. that niceness factor is hard to quantify yeah, and I think they need that that Mac Pro. I mean, I think they, they need to have those things available. But I think that it's I/O and storage are the two big things that those PCI yeah. cards are going to give us. Um, and I don't think that they they you know, obviously Apple's not really interested in the GPU market, uh, you know, for for that kind of thing. And if you want that, then there's you know. But I think that again, there's some processing that'll do a lot better just because of the unified RAM. Just speed, the speed of access to that RAM is is a big, you know, big deal. And the fact that the CPU and the GPU can share it. Is yeah, uh, it's big, and if, the pan, if other panelists have any any input, go ahead and raise your hand into the panel discussion. Um, but otherwise, Renee and I are going to talk a little bit longer. Can I add like <laughs> so, one one other yeah, point yeah, yeah, here that ahead. really impresses me is that we what we saw at WWC was based on the M2 generation architecture, and TSMC was unable to provide a process shrink for that. It's like. Um, like they 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 give it a new name. Like we had N four like N five N five P N four N four P. So, but this is really like fourth or fifth generation of that five nanometer process. They weren't able to ship three nanometer on time. But when you look at these products, like you look at what they put in this generation of MacBook Pro, uh, Mac Studio, and even the Apple Vision, they're going to go to three nanometers, even two nanometers, really soon. So, like yeah. the next generation after this, like if you imagine everything in that headset with a processor that has way way more transistors uh, is smaller cooler and can run faster like this is a it sounds cliche but this is the worst this stuff is ever going to be yeah and and the you know i think that the uh, in addition to that i think a lot of the creature comforts I mean, we, we've been looking a lot at the widgets and some of the automation and apple is you know just continuing it's it's interesting that they're spending so much energy on it you know and on a lot of the shortcuts and the you know the um, you know, the, we we just had a whole discussion with the Zoom team yesterday about you know adding shortcuts um, to to Zoom, but a lot of that has to do with the new architecture that Apple's building to to make that possible. So it, it does seem like a lot of those things are are moving forward faster than I expected. To be honest, I thought they just kind of put them out there and be like, okay, okay here we're done. Well, and if we've talked about like we see all of like we see so much come together. Like we've been talking about spatial AR, like uh, like audio AR with the AirPods for a long time, and we've seen that roll out with spatial audio. But even things like Final Cut just came to the iPad, and it seems like Apple Vision can run iPad apps even better. And you, uh, 
Matt Matty Hapoya was talking about like Final Cut is going to ship with the Apple Vision headset, and you'll be able to sit there and either pull it up from your Mac or run the iPad version natively with like, however many windows in whatever space you want them to be in. And I'm sure Resolve is going to be like right because their their Apple's Pro Workflows team works with Adobe and with Resolve all the time. I'm sure they're going to be in lockstep with that. And we're going to enter this world, Alex. We put our we put our Rumsleg helmet on, and then suddenly our entire editing suite is around us. I really do want the helmet like we were a couple of us were going back and forth i just want a whole helmet i was like just just give me like the like just just drop the whole helmet down on uh the, the, i think while we're there you know i i you know give me a little ac unit a little purifier yeah uh big headphones uh, i'm I, i'm i'm happy i feel like once i put the headset on i might as well just drop a boba fett you know uh helmet yeah, down and this just is go, the way this is the way yeah <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yeah ryan go ahead pertinent to the design of the vision pro Renee, were you at all surprised by the, the open ear concept versus them doing more of an integration with AirPods Pro or or something over the ear? Yeah, I think uh, they wanted to be able to create a bigger soundstage than just what the like AirPods Pro are fantastic, but um, they didn't want something as heavy as the uh, the Max, the AirPods Max, because that would have added like considerable more aluminum and like weight to the unit, and and they didn't want something as small as the. AirPods because the AirPods are kind of firing in while the Macs are sort of firing out. And I think this gave them the ability to do that projected soundstage because apparently it's like even next generation to the current AirPod technology where it's doing ray tracing and a whole bunch of other things to make it sound even better. And then if you're on an airplane, like I'm sure Alex will be within three minutes of getting a headset, you put the AirPods Pro in. So they wanted to leave it so that you wouldn't have to modify anything and you could just stick your AirPods Pro in if you wanted to. And do we think if you're in a home or an office setting and there are people in your immediate proximity that they're going to be hearing this in a faint way, that they're going to be hearing it loud and clear? Do we not have a sense for that yet? I think it's fairly audible because I think they really are targeting AirPods Pro as like your modifier for group environments. Well, and and, and I think that they they keep on having it while it's something that is somewhat of a solitary experience that you're experiencing that. There's a lot of places where they're, they're merging the the real world into the yeah into the virtual and i think that's going to be so being able to hear what you're hearing i think does make a difference i i i do i'm interested to see if there's some kind of mirroring that's going to be available so that you can see what the person's seeing um because i think that that's from a just a pure gaming perspective or being able yeah. to stream something you want to be able to see that it was interesting too. I don't know if you saw Ben Thompson's write up after the event, but there was this one line in it where he's like, "You see the the father recording the video of his kids playing, but then you see him watching it at night alone." Did the father get kicked out because he wouldn't take the hel- the helmet off, and now that's all he has left of his family? Three D videos well, that he recorded. One one thing that uh, that I thought was interesting there is a lot of us when we looked at that we were like oh that's that's going to be really weird to record um stereo just by putting the headset on wouldn't it be great if the iphone was able to record stereo yeah and and i think that i would be real i i've got i went from going i don't think that's going to happen to i'd be really surprised if we don't see an iphone 15 and yes. all they have to do is square up two of those lenses you know make two identical ones now uh they could put two whole sets uh, chris chris sent me a picture <laughs> two whole sets on on the corners so they're interocular and you can do all the different lengths i don't think that's going to happen but yeah. but i think that if you take the two widest lenses uh or not the, maybe the 0.5 but the, the you know the a, a wide uh, the ones and you yeah. put them together side by side um you're going to end up with a the ability you have to remember that it, even though it's not interocular 
with the lidar and with some um, com, you know creative computing uh, you can get you can f- build something that looks like stereo it may not be as good as inter- interocular i don't think that they'll put them on either side i would i would prefer that yes you know to have them on either side of the phone shooting it so that i that i really got more stere- a stereo feel but even if they just have them side by side like they did with the hydrogen um, it will it i know that the hydrogen stuff still produces great great content yes you, did you, you look at the format at all they, that they introduced for the immersive video I haven't had time to dig dig through that okay. yet. It's been a busy week. Have you have you looked at it much? I I did like I well I didn't look at it much, but I saw like what the specs for it were, like like 180 degrees, and they they want to capture so much stuff. And I'm interested in like whether Disney might start adopting that, and then like or other houses might start adopting or, that, and where we'll see. We've been doing a lot of 180 in the past, and um, you know I think that. Uh, I think you know. Of course, they bought NextVR, so a lot of that yeah. what what they're doing is probably driven into that into that model. Um, the 180, the the 360 doesn't really make a lot of sense because they're for a whole bunch of reasons. One is I got to throw way more data at you um, yeah. from a pure streaming perspective and processing perspective. The other is it's really hard to protect people behind the camera from the protect things and people. We we did a test shoot at a concert um, in in 360. And you know the people behind us were doing stuff that they shouldn't do. Um, you know, and and it was like there was there they don't realize they're standing right in front of a camera, like right in front of a camera. Unfortunately, it was a test and it wasn't published. Um, but <laughs> they they don't think they'd be working the next day. Um, the uh, but it was but the main thing is is that it was. Uh, the concert was great, but there was no reason to turn around. And so I think that you're going to see 180. I do think you're going to see an explosion of people. Like there's all this technology is sitting around. We've, we've, oh. This is like the fourth time we've gone through this stereo but thing. But did you hear from the people who watched the basketball and the sports demos? Because the, what, what they didn't realize at first, and it sounds like they're watching this demo and they literally feel like they're courtside because it's filmed from a courtside seat. And mm-hmm. they only realized later that the camera never moved because it didn't have to, because you felt like you were there. And when you're there, you don't move. Well, that's and so they so captured from a position. We've learned that over time is that you, 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 when you go into 180, you don't move the camera. You don't, you, because it actually makes people sick. But it also, they just let, you just let them roam around and inside of that experience. And, and the, uh, we've done courtside, you know, NBA courtside with stereo 180 and with 360. And it is, really impressive the only thing that wasn't impressive is the resolution wasn't high enough and the frame rate yeah. wasn't high enough we were at we were at 2k 30 instead of 4k 60 which is i believe we believe no one's really said frame rate but they say that they're polling at 12 milliseconds and so we're yeah. extrapolating that to be 83 frames a second or something in the vicinity i've heard around that. 90 yeah, yeah so so that is a uh much different experience <laughs> than 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 what we've seen in the past so and these grizzled journalists, like they were like, I would pay a thousand dollars for a subscription to courtside basketball on this thing. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Go ahead, Jason. Um, so, as far as the stereoscopic recording, I mean, right now that two x zoom that the iPhone currently does is is a combination of the one and the three. So, I mean, I see no reason why they couldn't do some sort of bizarre little modification to take that calculated 2x and make that some sort of stereoscopic thing especially with the lidar i just think if they just put if they just move it so the two lenses are next to each other it it solves a lot of problems the real problem with computational oh you mean that yeah that could but i would they could do it with computational i hope they don't like it's really hard for stereo to work well and the problem that has dogged stereo production 
Like if they if is they have those stereo production. bad stereo production, <laughs> and so and so the thing is is that I I just hope that they give us two identical lenses that are designed to do the thing, and they're not doing computational um, calculations on it. Um, but we'll that I I don't know if that might be me being too optimistic about what they want to do. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, as Renee pointed out, Apple is usually not first in the market, but they try and improve on the market. If they are going to go the route of the 3D stereo phone. I might remind you that they have been around for a long time, and here is a startling list of 3D-enabled mobile phones going back to 2002. The ones with double green on the right have both displays, cameras, and HDMI output. These are all phones uh, that have been able with uh, stereo 3D, and the list is very long. Most of them are in China. Some of them are in Japan, and a few are in the United States. But, you know... You may not realize that there are this many different brands of 3D stereo phones out there right now. It is amazing. Well, and, and the big thing that Apple has is they have a uh, they have a headset for it that will be tied directly into the output. So you're going to be able to shoot with your if, – if they put it into the phone, you'll be able to pick that phone up, shoot it, send it to a friend with a headset, and they're able to – so it's not going to – I think that what they showed was someone putting the headset on. But in reality, what's going to happen is people are going to shoot a video and of of their of their kids. The, the the husband that they saw there is going to be in his hotel room because he's doing a sales. He's on a sales meeting, and the wife is going yeah. to shoot the video of the of the birthday gift of the birthday thing and and uh, and then send it to him, and, and it's going to feel like he's sitting there in front of it. And I think that those are the kind of experiences that that are are probably more likely what's going to happen in the not too distant future. I think it'll be like live photos where you have like, right now we have a static photo that can animate if you want it to. And like, you'll be able to take a video that you can watch on your phone. But if you're wearing the headset, it has all that in extra information. I think so. In. Yeah. So I think that it's just going to be capturing a lot of that data. And, and I, it's, I think it's a pretty interesting, interesting puzzle. So it'll, it'll be interesting. You're going to say something, Renee? Oh, I was just saying, like, you and I were at CES together back when you had the Google Glass on and you were like a one-man CES coverage army. And they, we went to that Sony uh, thing where they were telling us the future of everything is 3D. And it looks like like horrendously wrong-headed in, in retrospect, but they had the 3D cameras, the 3D phones, the 3D televisions, and yeah. all of that technology. And now, literally 10 years later, we're seeing like a, a much more mature version of that. Yeah, and and again, I think I think that people underestimate the value of frame rate and resolution. That when we saw in the lab, we saw high frame rate, high resolution, and you're like, "This is the future." So I think the people who said this is the future were looking at 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 hardware that wasn't existing. Was like, "Oh, we'll get down to that." Instead, we we tried to make it inexpensive, but making it inexpensive meant we couldn't get that resolution, we couldn't get that yeah. frame rate, and without the resolution and frame rate that we were looking for, we just couldn't get the experience that had people go, "Oh, I have to have this." And so Apple is going now; they have the that that piece of it. So it'll be it'll be really interesting. Let's go ahead and jump into the first question. Comes to us from John Fultz in Sealings Grove, Pennsylvania. Mark Zuckerberg's comment. Quote, I think that their announcement really showcases the difference in the values and the vision that our companies bring to this, close quote. Panelists' thoughts or ideas on what he said? Yeah, go ahead, Renee. Yeah, I think that's true. I think like Apple and Facebook have profoundly different visions for like, I remember Greg Joswiak last year said uh, on one of the calls, they like someone said like, what do you, what, what do you think of the metaverse? And he said, I think that's a word that's never going to leave my mouth. 
um, because they like Facebook really thinks like they're building this world where you're going to go into and you'll be putting like face dollars into their face vending machine to get their face products. And you'll look up at your kid's school and see like an ad for paper towels spinning around on top of it. And they, they think you're going to live in here and they're going to make this whole different virtual world for you. Where I think Apple's idea is like, this is the next generation of screens. I think that's why like Tim Cook has been willing to talk about this more than any other product. Like he's willing to talk about AI and virtual reality and augmented reality because for them it's not like it's not the end game it is the next generation of products it's like talking about um led back in the era of the imac like we went from crt to led yes to make that imac but then you could never have made a crt iphone like you could never made a crt ipad that is a technology like a base technology displays flat panels that let them create all these other products around it and I think now we're looking at a similar thing where Apple's vision for, like, no pun intended, but their vision for this is something you put on, you dip into, you interact with people, you go in and out of. But it does not, doesn't replace your world. It's meant to enhance your world. Um, and and, I and we'll see other products build off of that. I have to admit that I thought before we saw it that it was going to be more closed off and that you'd have to figure out how you take it on, put it on, take it off, put it yeah. on. And I realized very quickly that a lot of people are just going to leave it on. Like they're just going to put it on and leave it on. And as people walk into the room, they'll talk to them and then they let, let walk out. I mean, they're not going to sit there and watch TV with it, with that, their family. That's an advantage for Facebook but, because with Facebook, they're always worried you're going to close the browser window or close the Facebook app. But if it's on your face, it's much harder for you to exit a Facebook experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it, it'll be interesting. Yeah. John? Renee said it well. Um, this is Mark crying a little bit. Don't Don't look at Apple's new headset. Ours came out last week. So a little bit of that. So um, Zuck was on Lex Friedman last night, and he articulates this whole vision of what he means uh, ad nauseum. Hey, good, Bill. As a public statement, though, I have to give props to the PR professional who was able to use that many words, yet say virtually nothing that's going to resonate with the wider audience. That's pretty great practicing of uh, public relations. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be, uh, the hard part is I think the prop, you're going to eventually be able to go into an Apple store and put these on and look at them. And the problem is, is that, and I think this was the problem for a lot of us that have worked in this, is that once you see the, the, the better quality, especially with something on your head, it's really hard to go back. And, and this is going to be a huge problem for all the cheaper headsets, is that once a press person has seen it, they're going to go, the, going it doesn't look close. Like, like I don't, I haven't seen the Apple one, but I can tell you from the ones that I've seen that are higher resolution and higher frame rate, that the experience on a Quest is painful after you've seen what could be done. And I think that that's going to be something that is just really devastating too, because I think the press is going to turn a little south on the on the other headsets. You know, a lot of things are going to turn south on it because it's just really hard to get that out of your head. That it was like, oh, yeah. it was just seamless and it all just worked and there wasn't any of this stuff. And and they're just going to be, fr the press is going to be fr frustrated with the smaller headsets. They're going to put less energy into them. There's going to be, you know, that's the, I don't think it's going to energize the lower end of the, sometimes it does. Sometimes a big thing hits and it, and it energizes it. I don't think this is, a, that's what's going to happen here. Yeah, go to Renee. It's going to be a non-pro version. I mean, I think deliberately putting pro in the branding is a huge signal that we understand this is $3,500, but it's the pro version. And if you've looked at any of our other product lines, we've had minis and nanos and non-pros and maxes. Yeah. And it speaks to like this being... Like, like they didn't just introduce the Apple Vision, they introduced the Apple Vision Pro, which is a huge, bold app, like an uncharacteristically bold Apple statement that this is the first of a new family. Yeah. Next question. 
Next one comes to us from Emily Russo in Nashville, Tennessee. A lot of the graphics designers I work with are interested in using this for their work, but also getting up to speed on the UI UX design. Any suggestions on what they should focus on? Go ahead, Bill. I watched one of the WWDC videos about this specifically. There is a set of UX guidelines for working and programming for uh, Vision, and they were really specific. So if you're interested in this, go to the WWDC thing. I don't even think you have to be a developer anymore. I think you can just log in and do that and look at some of the first videos that are going up. You'll see exactly where they're going with uh, how much design space to leave for things programmed for this unit. You go, Renee. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Like Apple famously has human interface guidelines, HIG, uh, which are updated every year after WWDC to talk about all the new things. And there absolutely is going to be a HIG for this as we ramp up development. But also what people were saying who used it is that it is stunningly accurate. Like we're used to multi-touch where you have to have a huge touch point and a lot of affordance because especially as you go further away on larger screens, like you're just not that accurate. But this, like it's looking exactly where your eye is and all those cameras are exactly focused. And the precision with which they're detecting that makes me think that this is going to be like a much like you're going to be able to go a much higher density in terms of interface eventually than what we're looking at now. Yeah, I, I think I would pay a lot of attention to what Apple has laid out as what what's there and really look at those those guidelines because they're the only ones with the headset so far. Um, and then the the other thing is, is that I would, um, you know, you can build some of these things and in, get them into your Oculus headset just to understand how things look. You know, like, what does that actually look like there? Um, but I think that you're going to pay attention to that. And it's going to be very hard. I think that a lot of people are going to buy this just because they're trying to figure out how to develop for it. Um, I think the first, you know, first couple million are going to be people trying to make sure they don't miss out on the opportunity. Uh, Marcelo? Yeah, there's a new, on WWDC, if you go, and I was attending online, um, there's a new property for Swift. So you can actually see what the depth is going to be on the UI and how you yeah. will push things forward or backwards depending on the where people sees or what or how you interact with those things so it's very cool yeah it's going to be really hard until you have the headset because <laughs> that's that's the bottom line it's, it's uh, i because i i've been working in immersive stuff for over for almost 30 years and in, in different levels and got to watch this for a very long time and it's just you have people come in with a bunch of it's the same thing with like surround sound the first time someone does something, they do a lot of crazy things. Or first they do either nothing or they do a lot of crazy things. And then it settles into, we're just doing a little bit of this and we're making this, it, it becomes a much more subtle thing. But I think that uh, playing with it and making sure you understand how the development tools are going to work and then being able to, as soon as the headset comes out, cross-check what you're doing, um, I think that that's going to be the, the key to the operation. Uh, next question. Dan Huber in Erie, Pennsylvania is up next. At the $3,500 U.S. price point for the Vision Pro, do you think companies might subsidize a portion of that cost if you subscribe to their service? They might. I mean, I, I don't know how much of that that they'll do, but I, I, I think that it's not a big enough market for most of them to do that. So if you're talking about cell companies or other things, I, I think that they're probably going to just make you pay for it. I think Apple's also going to be pretty... I don't think Apple really cares how many they sell. I mean, in, in in the grand sense of they will sell as many as they want to sell. Um, but I don't think that, I think we're going to have, um, the device is so complicated and so hard to make. When I say Apple will sell as many as that they can make, yes. it has to do with, I just don't know how many they can make in the first year. You were going to say, Renee? No, no, I was just agreeing with you. Like, you just nailed it. Like, it, 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 people are going to say it's way too expensive and then they're going to be like, how come I can't order one? Why is it going to come in six months? Yeah, I think it's going to be, I, I don't know if Apple's capable of making more than a million or two in the first year. 
And I think that they'll sell all that they can make. But I think that that, I don't know if they can mass produce these. These are brand new product, it's a brand new line. It's complicated and hard. It's it's a really hard device to make. Um, and I think people underestimate that. So I, I don't, I just don't think that they even view it as a mass market product. They need people, if we look at this, if, if we look at this being the pro, and they need people to buy the regular one in 2025, 2026, um, they're only looking for enough people to develop content for it, to build that out. They're not looking to turn this into the next iPhone next year. Um, though they, you know, they, I think that they see that as, and I think Apple's has the ability to be much more patient, um, than, than everyone else. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I'm a little less bullish on this product. I think it'll, it's application will eventually move into the industrial, uh, and vertical market applications like the HoloLens has done. And, uh, the HoloLens, I might point out HoloLens 2, uh, which is their AR product for Microsoft has been around for seven years. Uh, there are a number of vertical market applications for it. It's priced exactly the same, $3,500 for the you know version one, but it goes up. Look at the two different uh, industrial edition. There is a uh, Trimble makes an XR10 for $5,000. So these are industrial applications and they have custom software written for the needs of uh, AR uh, where, it, where it comes into use. I didn't see any applications during the Apple demo of any application that the consumer could do better on the on the vision than they could with just you know three monitors for doing work oh, and three monitors and the in a problem hotel. and the problem <laughs> like, like of the the user interface is that it's you know touch eyeball and finger clicking so you have to get used to a whole new way of working when you're using that headset. I suppose there's probably going to be an app, a mouse interface so that you can use a conventional mouse or a trackball if you want to. Yep. Uh, and of course, a keyboard for entering text. So well, I think they've already shown that you can, you can have your, your regular keyboard and your mouse there and, and right. be interacting with it already. So it's all built, that's all built into it as far but as But it seems goes. to be more of a consumer device, you know, for, for consuming entertainment than uh, uh, for. For I think creativity, it's a, I think. I would say that I think it's a lifestyle device. I mean, it's going to be something that some people just put on for long periods. I think it's designed to be on for long mm. periods of time where you're... I don't you're, think so. We'll I don't think... I think uh, the people that have tried it and they've just a, a precious few said it was a little heavy and they didn't know about since it's covering up okay. and has a tight fit around the eyes, unlike other, like the, the HoloLens I just mentioned, which doesn't touch your eyes at all. Um... Uh, it gets kind of claustrophobic and and hot. I think that's going to be a problem for wearing it for extended periods of time all day long. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Well, I, I, obviously, we won't know until it comes out. Uh, Ryan, I think the industrial application use case is really interesting, right? I mean, if you think about the hollow ones and the, the Trimble application you showed there, they have one addition that's mounted to a hard hat, and if you can integrate that design a little bit better, you'll probably take care of some of the weight issues and to the point around, you know, should we consider this as an alternative to three screens in front of us? Well, if we're in the field, we can't have three screens in front of us. Currently, our option is our phone or an iPad and the opportunity for immersive experience to be able to have an expert sitting yeah. off site, right? That's kind of circling the particular thing that needs to get dealt with. And somebody less experienced on site is, is an application that they might not jump into in year one, but certainly will in time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's being on a plane, being in a hotel room. You can take those monitors with you, but it's a lot to carry. You know, so go ahead, Marquette go ahead, Chris. <laughs> go ahead, Chris. 
Yeah, I travel with monitors. I, I think the amount of time that you'll be able to wear the headset headset will be determined by um, the point at which you get beat up by up some bully because they think you're a nerd. But I, so it'll, I, I it'll guess last I'd... that long. I don't think because of their nature, I mean, we don't see a lot of people with Oculus out in the outside. I don't think we're going to see a lot of people wandering around streets or going to uh, restaurants with these on. I think that there there is an opportunity because they're AR. Um, I think that there's going to be some interesting opportunities in theaters, but it'll be designed for that, you know, where you're adding things to it. But I think that outside of areas that are very specifically designed for the headset, I just don't, I don't see a lot of people walking around outside with them. I think that this is going to be a much more of a home use kind of experience. And I think that, again, isolationism, I, maybe, um, but, but sad. I think that to me, I, I honestly, I look at it and I just see this as a sad, a, a sad development in humanity. Like why would Apple, a company that's all about, you know, reaching out and making music and making content and stuff, create something that just literally isolates people into a little bubble. And, and I got to say, one of the things I really like about Office Hours is that I, I now have friends that use PCs, which I never had before the, the pandemic. Hmm. And, and and it's very it's very seldom that I completely agree with Courtney, but I do. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, go ahead, Marcel. Yeah, no, what I was going to say is um, um, I used one of the first Oculus, uh, I think it was the Oculus Rift. I don't remember quite the name, but I remember that the setup was completely complex to do and you needed a space mm -hmm. you remember you have to put sensors on your office yeah. or whatever you're putting them and and then mark them up if you have you know a good setup and you just make it work i remember it was phenomenal i felt like i was in the matrix and then i checked the time and it was over three hours that i was in it and i didn't even notice that and that was four five years ago so I can't imagine what the Vision Pro will be looking like like today if the setup yeah. is going to be this way and you don't need mm -hmm. any other sensors or anything like that for doing the things that you need on the times that you need to do them. And once you don't use them anymore, just take it off and that's it. Yeah, good, Bill. Chris, I have one word for you, motorcycle. You're right. Nobody's going to want to get in a car with a bunch of people when they can <laughs> ride on a motorcycle inside a helmet, cut off from the world for hours at a time. When you can get There's, in a car with four people and have a discussion. I don't think you'll be able to wear these on a motorcycle. I mean, a, people are different. There will be a lot of people who will be very yeah. happy to check out for a good period of time and do something productive. And I will say, when you think about commuters, like, I don't know how other people fly, but I can tell you how I fly. I have this special headset or face thing that goes over my, that doesn't touch my eyes. It's like a little cavities. And I have my AirPod Maxes, and I've got this little neck brace, and I've got my Scotty vest. And I literally get into a window seat. I put those on and I don't, I am gone until, and I just listen to music. I am gone until um, we land. I have no interest in the food. I have no interest in the people. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to be left alone. You know, and that is a big, big billboard in, I don't, now it doesn't mean that I don't, I'm social every day with you, Chris. I'm sitting, sitting there talking to people. I'm connected. I, I hang out with my family. I do all these other things, but there are definitely times when I don't want to have any interaction with anybody. And I think this is providing a huge opportunity to make that really, really enjoyable. Uh, go ahead, Ren. understand I am better than you. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just saying, I just, I just, I'm just saying that there's a, there's a real opportunity for me to not, not have to interact. And 
like as someone who's done, you know, used to do quarter million miles a year, being in a 10 hour flight and being able to, I was watching stuff on my iPad or my iPhone and I did it with an Oculus and the Oculus was really fun. It was just a little too low resolution, but, but, yeah. uh, but at the same time with the higher resolution and the immersiveness, being able to sit and watch movie after movie and feel like you're in a theater uh, is going to be really compelling for people on trains and planes. And I don't think it'll be on the back of cars. One thing I will say is that I think that in cars, it will be very hard because people will be get sick because you can feel emotion. And I think that that's going to be a problem. Uh, go ahead, Renee. Yeah, I think also like one thing Apple does really, really well, and you brought this up earlier, was just how patient they are. And when you look at even Steve Jobs and his vision for like network computers was years ahead of its time. And Tim Cook famously is just very forward thinking. And when Apple talks about automation, yes, they mean a car, but they also mean eventually like robots, like consumer robots, all these different things. And the same way here when they're talking about AR and mixed reality and I think spatial computing, uh, the reason they wanted to coin that term is that this is a very long arc of, of human history that we're approaching. And you can, I have bought almost every headset, like I bought Oculus Risk and Valve Index and HTC Vive and Vive Pro and the original Quest and the Quest 2. And I've tried them all and they've, they've been like really interesting. But I think as you go through that long arc, you have this headset today and one day we'll get down to, uh, maybe tethered, but not glasses. And then you go further down the long arc and you start to get to like, if we think the future of computing is Jarvis, where you're like manipulating things in the air and talking and having like these large language models and generative AI responding to you and building things. And you're, you're designing and coding and doing all these tasks in like a mixed reality environment. How do we get from there to here? And I guess one day we'll, we'll get to like the cyberpunk universe of us having to decide if we put the Apple R13 chip like like right next to our brainstem or something. But like all of this is like external cybernetics right now. It's like the core of what it is. It's why we have like AirPods for enhanced hearing and now vision for enhanced seeing. And that's just going to continue until and like of course like my iPhone is already my ex, like my external memory. It's like it's it's so much of my information uh now. It is all cybernetics. And I think they see where that future is going in terms of automation and mixed reality. And these are the pieces of the puzzle that they have to put in place now so that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, they're 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 still a vibrant, relevant company, unlike many of their tech peers. And I also think that uh this goes hand in hand with a self-driving car where you just sit you sit in the car and put the headset on and and do your thing. You know, like, you know, and and uh, and not have to, and, and the car takes you where you need to go and you do what you need to do. Uh, I, I think that it's not that far away. Uh, next question. Juan C. Robles in Mexico City, Mexico. The Apple Vision Pro has an impressive list of accessibility features. Is this Apple focusing this device for more than productivity and entertainment? Go ahead, Javier. I think Apple is one of the brands that take care of accessibility the more. I think they, they have great features in all of their products and, and they keep getting better. Like for example, the iPhone, we when we got lighter, we started having the like the measuring things and then it tells you like there's a someone's coming and there's a door and they can keep adding on. So I think accessibility is gonna go like a long way. And also like different Apple products, like Apple has like this runway, they can add things like, for example, the AirPods started like, okay, we have a noise cancel and adaptive noise cancel. And now they tell you they, they, it can sense where someone is coming. So we basically have hearing aids. Uh, so Apple's always like try to get new things in, the, in their products. So I'm sure this, uh, at least for me, this device, I think the... Uh, like let's say the immersive things like the AR, the, sorry, the VR things would be more the entertainment and productivity and the AR or the things that will help you with your surroundings are going to be like a different uh, sort of, uh, of features that it will have. So I think it have a, like a lot of applications. Go ahead, Courtney. 
I didn't see the necessarily accessibility applications for the Vision Pro. I mean, uh, if you're, uh, you know, if if you don't have good eyesight, you know, you're kind of wasting a lot of money on really high resolution displays that block off your existing field of vision, whatever that may be, if you have macular degeneration, et cetera. Uh, so I'm not sure the applications for accessibility, as Javier was pointing out, they could come up with applications that use the front-facing cameras and the LiDAR sensor to warn you about you know, sightless persons, to warn them about things that are coming into their field of uh, contact. But uh, there are other other devices that are already designed to do that uh, that are probably much cheaper and much more accessible that give you audible warnings, kind of like an un holographic acoustical environment that you can uh, sightless people can use to navigate their their field of vision i think it'd be kind of overpriced for that application I, I, yeah but i do think that one thing that we found with vr is that adding accessibility features is much easier than in the real world because we can put it anywhere so we can have heads-up displays we can give you tons of extra information especially if you you know in, in some areas um, and i think that people who again this is gonna this is going to be useful for people who um, have limited mobility of being able to go to places and see things and be part of things that they couldn't be part of otherwise. And so I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, next question. Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana. Apple stock peaked right before the WWDC keynote and then stayed down for three days. Was it too much hype or was it a price shock on the goggles? Other reasons? Go ahead, Ryan. I don't think personally that it was as much about price as it was about the timing of the release. In a high interest rate environment, if those cash flows are pushed out 12 months, there's a lot less present value to those cash flows than there is if this is only six months away. Good, uh, Renee. Yeah, I think that's absolutely expected in normal behavior. Like people, um, the market buys on rumor and they sell on news. That's just historically how it's gone. And when you like there's this famous Jim Cramer video you can go and find from 10 years ago where he's like, what happens is you hear Apple's going to put out a phone. So you call the Apple media and they're, they hate, they really hate Apple. So you tell them Verizon's not going to pick it up and the phone's going to be delayed. And because you need to be able to make your short put. And so they start spreading all these rumors and the, and the, the people start selling the stock and I start making a fortune. And then you go to your friend over here. So like the market is one, uh, historically again, buys on rumors, sells on news because anticipation expectations rise, rise, rise. And then when you have the news, it's definite and people start to sell but also there's so much market manipulation going on all the time that 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 is how a lot of these large well that is how a lot of some of these people make their make their quarters next question Juan C. Robles again Mexico City giving Apple announcing the end of the transition to Apple Silicon how much time do you think Apple will keep support for the Intel platform I think it would probably be the typical pipeline. You know, they, I think it's a couple of years, a couple of versions that they, that they will support things. And then they just, I don't think they, they'll end of life it in the same speed that they end of life any other hardware. Go ahead, Renee. Yeah, I think exactly the same. The only question I have in my mind is, are they going to start the clock with the Mac Pro? Because that's the last one. Or are they going to think the Mac Pro is such a niche market that they're going to start the clock like a year or two ago when they had all the mainstream computers out? Yeah, I think that I think the hard part for I mean, I think Apple wants to make sure people feel supported, you know, so I think that that's that's the only you know, they don't want it's not worth um, I think for Apple, it's not worth the bad press for this small amount of support because there's just not that many of them out there. So I think that, they, but we'll see. It'll be interesting. Uh, next question. Well, it's the new versions. I mean, oh, sorry, yeah. like the new versions of Mac OS are those good? Like how many oh. new versions of Mac OS yeah. is Intel going to get? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's two or two or three typically. I mean, I, yeah. I, again, I think that they won't cut people off any faster than they cut people off normally, but they cut people off pretty fast. Yes. I mean, it's a, it, you know, <laughs> Apple is Apple is the most aggressive company in. I'm not going to, you know, we're we are you move move forward, and it's a huge advantage for developers. Um, now, developers will complain about it, but it's a huge advantage to know that almost your entire ecosystem is on a a modern uh, operating system. Uh, being able to develop for that, I mean, I know that. When we developed for, uh, we developed a couple pieces of hard software for both hard, both Mac and PC. And for the Mac, we had four things we had to check, four pieces of hardware, configurations, and so on and so forth. And for the PC, we had 27. And we were just like, oh my goodness. And, and we we lasted yeah. about a year before we stopped developing for the <laughs> PC. Because, I mean, if, if it was a Mac, because we were selling a lot of product and, you know, the PCs were ten uh, percent of the revenue and ninety percent of the problems, and so we were just like, "This isn't this isn't adding up for us." So yeah, so I think that, um, but I think they'll continue to push people forward. But I, I don't think that they'll drop it off the the platform any yeah. faster than they have in the past. They have a pretty set. I don't remember what it is, but it's a pretty set thing where they close it off. Uh, next question. Dan Huber in Erie, Pennsylvania. Apple purchases Mira a day after the Vision Pro announcement. What will they do with this purchase? Uh, Mira, it, it, to, to Courtney's point, has it has a lot of vertical markets, and so there, you know, there's military roles. There's a lot of other things for lightweight. There's a lot more AR, like pure AR, is really what they specialize in. So I think that they're they're definitely any. I think you're going to see Apple make more and more acquisitions of especially smaller companies. Um, you know, that are, you know, sub, sub billion, sub 500 million, they're just going to keep on hoovering up these companies um, uh, to make sure that they can, you know, they're, they're often grabbing them for patents. They're grabbing them for the, obviously the, that's an aqua hire for a lot of these things, um, you know, and so there's a lot of different reasons that they'll pull them in. But I think you're going to probably see, they quietly buy many, many, many companies, you know, so uh, to, to, to solve a lot of these problems. Good, Bill. I'm not so much sure that they're buying a thing as they are buying a bunch of people. I mean, they will have some expertise and something that will be directly relative to what they're doing here. Yeah. Um, next question. Chris Clark in Tempe, Arizona. Do you imagine that a remote controlled, remotely controlled robot could wear this headset as a window back to the robot operator? Go ahead, John. The robots will have this architecture built into them. The, the Tesla uh, Optimus is using the exact same technology that they use in the cars. The cars have nine cameras in them. Yeah. And so that, that information can easily be remote controlled. Uh, and that's exactly uh, what they showed at the shareholder meeting. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, there's no need for the robot to wear the headset. The operator would be wearing the headset. The robot would have built-in sensors. There's no reason for the robot to have uh, display screens that cover its cameras. Its cameras can do the work themselves. Go ahead, Ryan. You've got an interesting problem right now where the really qualified field workforce is aging out and less and less interested in being out in harsh environments. And so as we see, you know, a, a different workforce come into the harsh environment and outdoor environment, what I think is interesting is, like I mentioned earlier, the operator and the person in the back office wearing them and being able to kind of give give uh, remote direction and advice. And Microsoft has painted a, a vision for that that I hope Apple dives into as well or invests in as well. Yeah, some of the most impressive things that I saw with uh, with Microsoft is they you know they were taking the they were doing lidar and with a Hololens, and they had the they were lidaring every day, and, and in some cases I didn't see it. They were talking about the dog, but the dog hadn't been hadn't been released yet. Uh, you know the, the they were using they're now using a Boston Dynamics dog that's integrated with a Leica scanner, 
that just walks through the worksite every day and scans it all out. But they were still doing scans of these worksites and being able to stand in a space, a relatively small space in an office 2,000 miles away, looking at your construction and going, oh, you know, like you'd see the, the, the LIDAR scan, you'd see the models of what it was supposed to do. You, you saw the breakdown of what, of the, um, the timeline of what was happening versus the timeline that you had for that construction. Um, it was, I thought it was just amazing. You know, you could see that we're behind over here, but ahead over here, this is this, they, it turned out in one case that they showed us that the beams were being, before they poured concrete, that they had put rebar into the wrong place, like just by a little, but it was going to be a, you know, and something that happens all the time in construction, but they were able to see that immediately because the scans are coming in every day and make those error corrections when they're not on site and, and they're not able to make all those measurements every single time to make sure it was working. It wasn't major, but it was pretty interesting. Go ahead, Ryan. The other thing that that'll have an impact on is litigation, right? So when we're two years um, kind of post-launch of a building and an issue is uncovered, like that tower in San Francisco that's leaning, the daisy chain of litigation begins and having captured all of those scans, while they probably could have prevented the issue in the first place, will now at least allow us to get back to the answer of, was it the design spec? Was it the contractor that poured the foundation or, you know, somebody else in the mix? Was it not going all the way down to the bedrock? You know, like, like maybe, maybe new math wasn't as good as old math, which was, we got to get to the bedrock. Uh, next question. Joe Kidd in the Bay Area in California. Spatial video seems magical, enabled in part by the Vision Pro's higher power true depth camera system. What would the panel estimate is the effective capture volume relative to capture position? Uh, go ahead, Courtney. I'm not sure. The, the video that they showed seemed to be of a square type aspect ratio rather than a full uh, 4K or UHD capture position. So I don't think we're really sure what kind of format other people have speculated that the resolution is 3800 by 3000 uh so you know it's closer to a square aspect ratio for capture rather than a standard commercial uhd good bill and they talked about some of this and what i referenced earlier the wwdc uh, online version of it just do a, a search under i think video or reality pro and you should be able to find that session where they talked about how larger are items that you're moving towards scale at the correct way to keep everything clear in your vision field. Next question. Uh, Craig McFarlane in Boston, Massachusetts. Any thoughts about the building of photorealistic avatars? Renee, what did you think of those avatars? They were like one of those things where I'm like quasi dystopian, uncanny, like, and I haven't seen them <laughs> because. Um, first dibs? I was like, no, well, I mean, like, like full disclosure. I work at Google, and Google has Skyline, and if anyone saw Marquez's recent video on that, like, it's doing something very similar, and he said it was like mind blowing when you're actually doing it. So seeing someone film it or seeing it in a demo, like, it, it may look like not quite right, but when you see it in that immersive environment, it could be like a, a much bigger presence that, than it looks at first. So I'm going to reserve final judgment for actually seeing it and interacting with it and seeing how it goes. But you do have to solve the problem is how do you FaceTime somebody when there's no camera on your face? Uh, I think it was at least a novel solution. I don't know if you need to figure that out. Like, I, like, like, <laughs> like I, we were talking well, what about would you video. see if, if like I have it on me, I don't, what would like you I see of me? Think, I, I don't think I'm going to use the headset for that. Like if that's, okay. if it, unless it's, unless it's unbelievable, 
I'm probably not going to. If, you know, especially with the setup that I have here, um, if I found out that a bunch of people were using headsets to join a meeting, I would 100% join with my camera and my microphone, um, knowing that that I would be able to stand out. You know, like it, and and I think that that's you know um, because I just don't think that I don't think it'll be competitive with a good camera. Now it might be competitive with a what most people use for web cameras, but but I think that it is. I I feel like it's you know in the same way that I think that digital backgrounds and a lot of other things add to cognitive load. There's going to be something that feels wrong that about it yeah. that is I think is going to bother people. Um, you go, ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I think it's a step into the uncanny valley. In fact, the the eyes that you see when you're in uh, transparent, <laughs> semi-transparent mode, the actual displays are opaque. But the eyes that other people see when they're looking at you, if you have them turned on, uh, are really just a close-up of the virtual face that you've generated for it. And it's just tracking your eye movement, your eyeball movement, and your blinking. And, you know, making the avatar eyes do the same thing. So that's not, you're not really seeing your own eyes or an image, not even an image of your own eye from the internal cameras, because I think those internal cameras are infrared uh, and not color. And it's a color display that you're seeing on the outside. What were you going to say, Renee? I was going to say just like a, a play on words. It's like, do virtual, do virtual eyes dream or, or virtual eyes dreams to an electric soul or gateways to an electric soul. <laughs> Sheep not involved. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> it's not, it, it, Courtney said it's a, what'd you say, a step into the uncanny valley? I think it's a beautiful log cabin built smack dab in the middle of the uncanny valley. I think it's super weird. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to be, um, uh, I, 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 it was the least impressive thing that I saw in the, sh in the show was the, was the FaceTime. And I felt like they've been, spent all this time on Memojis. I think that what we're going to see is that Memojis are an option um, yeah. that they're going to give us. I think they didn't want that to be part of the initial press for it, but I think when it's released, Memojis are going to be one of your options as opposed to the scan of you. Because I, I think the one thing that Apple has done better than most is uh, that they their Memojis actually look better than we do. <laughs> My Memoji looks better than I do. Every other Memoji is like, like when I thought the funny thing with Mark is, uh, that he, Mark Zuckerberg was talking about his, you know, like we really want people to interact with each other. I was like, with those, with those avatars, you want people to interact? Though I would never interact. Do you remember the Verge video when they they did like the Horizon demo and like one Alex's eye was just flashing up and down and he like, where are my legs? My I, hands are disconnected. I, I would never, ever, ever interact with any of those tools. Um, you know, and that's the thing that I think that they they it's aspirational, but no, yeah, no. Um, go ahead, Javier. I agree with Rene. We have to wait for the final version, but I, yeah. I think it's uncanny valley for sure. For us, that we are used to look at CGI characters and if something is well done, well rigged, everything is going to look weird. But I think at, if we don't end up with Scorpion King level CGI, most people are going to be like, oh, I, I, I can but, take this. But Having I think said that's that, what's going to be. Like, probably. I, yeah, Having said that, I think I would go the Memoji route as well. I, I'm pretty sure it's mm -hmm. going to do it because that's going to be, I mean, most people use the virtual backgrounds and they use the avatars mm -hmm. and they are fine with it. So I think it's, it's, it's bad for us, but for people like normal people, I think you're going to, it's have to step out of those kind of looks. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Jason. 
I just want to know how many days it's going to be until, um, you know, after the release of of the device when it plays Doom 2 instead of putting your eyes there. Because, like, that just needs to happen. <laughs> Last question for the for the day. And Renee, I'm on a T-shirt that says quasi-utopian. Uh, Robert Soji in Los Angeles, do you think the Apple Vision Pro marks the beginning of the end of the Apple laptop and or PC? Good, Courtney. No, no. Unless you're going to travel around to Starbucks with a backpack full of uh, lithium-ion batteries or lead-acid batteries that let you power the, the Vision Pro for nine hours at a time, the laptop is still going to have a place in portable portable work as a portable work device. And the PC, I think you're going to find that the uncomfortableness of wearing something on your face and isolating yourself uh, when you're just sitting at home working is is too big a leap for people to make. So no, I don't think it'll replace either one of those. Good, Bill. I don't think so either. I mean, we have too much uh, load of learning to type and things like that. Although I was interested in the the videos that I watched on WWDC about how they've made, as your fingers get closer to the virtual keys, they get brighter. And then as you actuate them, there is a auditory click that helps you understand. They've really put a lot of effort into trying to make this as tactile-ish an experience as is possible. Renee? Yeah, um, I think like the, the the as popular as the iPhone is, the iPhone didn't uh, like eclipse like it eclipsed Mac, but it didn't destroy the Mac. Like the Mac is still out there; people are still using it. And I think it always goes back to that analogy: is that we had clocks in the town square, and then we had clocks in our living room, and then we had clocks in our pockets, and then we had clocks on our wrists. And I think the same is true with computing: is that we had computers in giant like at, at IBM and at universities and in the military. And then we had computers in our desks and then we had computers in our pockets. And now we have computers on our wrists and we have a 10 core audio processing unit in our ears. And we're going to have computers on our faces and computers. Is, it's just going to become ambient. And every time they can't always do everything that the larger version of that did, but they can do some things more conveniently and uniquely than any of the predecessors could do. Like I don't have to go back to my Mac if I have my phone with me for 50% of the tasks that I want to do. And then for my watch, it's just like for notifications and for a lot of stuff, I don't have to go to my phone. I can, like, I'm so lazy, I don't have to get out of my pocket. I just glance at it. And now I won't even have to turn my wrist. It's just going to be right there on my face. Uh, so like the, the, the convenience delta and a functionality delta, and it's just we're going to keep pushing that until we do have, like we go from spatial to ambient computing. Um, and then it's, that's the next I, thing. I guess I'll say maybe. Only because I thought that when people texted, it was weird. And now I, it's my primary form of, of communication, some version of text. Like, I just don't like email. Like, I, I go days without checking my email. <laughs> like, but I don't. But if you text me, you'll get an immediate, like, immediate response. Uh, so it's a, it's a different. Uh, I shouldn't tell people that because now I'm going to get a bunch of texts. Um, Renee, thank you so much for joining us. It was good to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, it's good, I was just texting you. you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and thanks to the panel for for all of your input. You know, great great answers in the first uh, first hour and great discussion in the second hour. Really appreciate all of you being here. We can't do it without you. Uh, thanks to the producers for all the great questions. We never know what we're going to talk about. We just get up here and we just go, okay, well, what what are people going to want us to talk about? And so that's all up to you. Uh, it's great when you get in there. We've got a bunch of questions at the beginning that we know that we're going to get out of the gate with. So thank you so much for getting those questions in early and getting them in often. Uh, keep on adding to those and make sure to vote on those questions so that we have um, we know what's 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 available there. Uh, remind quick reminder that uh, that we do have a volunteer um, meeting tomorrow at ten a.m. Uh, so you can check the the emails that go out um, to, if, you, if you're interested in, in being part of these crews, whether it's a panel or the incredible 
uh, crew that actually gets this done every single day. There is a small village of people who are managing this, organizing it, programming it, executing it. Um, so uh, it's we just really appreciate all the contribution that everyone makes. And if you're interested in being part of that team, again, we meet, have a volunteer meeting uh, tomorrow. Uh, and you can find out more information in the email that goes out every day. Um, and we'll put something in Discord as well. 77,000 77, miles we traveled today answering these questions, 124,000 kilometers. And that's more than 611 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into After Hours. Such a fun day. Hey, Alex, Courtney and I are doing a new podcast together. We're going to rough. We're going to uh, review fl- monitors, like real 27-inch, 20. We're, we're going to just review legitimate monitors. What do you think? I think you just call it 27-inch. And just it only, re- oh, only review 27-inch monitors. <laughs> like, just, just, this is a good 27-inch monitor. This is a good. I will never point. edit wearing a headset ever. Is that oh, even a vertical, wait. or is that actually technically a diagonal? I can't wait to see if that happens or not. Unfortunately, curmudgeon computing is too long. Yeah. 